This podcast is brought to you in part by the pistol shrimp. The pistol shrimp. The loudest, smallest animal in the ocean. The pistol shrimp. It literally creates temperatures equal to the sun when it snaps its claws together. The pistol shrimp. I wonder if it tastes as good as regular shrimp. The pistol shrimp. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Journey Through Time and Stuff. My name is Aaron, and I am weirdly nervous all of a sudden. I don't know why I've started feeling like anticipatory for this. This is my 199th episode of the podcast, and I have nothing to be nervous about, but for some reason, speaking feels hard. Um, And I'm sure that... A lot of people, a lot of you out there listening to this, uh, I know from hearing from you guys and from me talking about it myself that um, mental health and and things like that are far more important than they've been given credit for and uh, focused on in what is kind of like the modernized... um, capitalist version of what healing looks like today and none of that monetary gain is really focused at actually just healing the minds of people suffering um giving them tools to heal themselves giving them tools to uh not be battled with the plagues that is the entire world around us um and i've been fascinated with it for a long time i've been on my own journey of uh healing and you guys have listened through six years of me doing it and um i love our neighbors see (laughs) this is the most i'm not gonna miss this and it never fails our podcast starts i have a recording mic on and then the dogs next door go thank you dogs um (laughs) Uh, We meet amazing people in life, and sometimes the the people that uh, we never knew we were meant to meet, sometimes we meet, and you click, and your brains work the same, and and conversation seems flowingly easy, and I am totally delighted right now to have one of those people in the studio with me. Um, We met two years ago or so like that um, in, in just a unforeseen circumstance that now has translated to a wonderful friendship and also uh, um, some other big word that means unity, but not unity that I can't remember right now. Um, So everybody, please welcome to the show, Aaron Hansen. Oh God, that was the wrong button. That was the right button. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. No, no problem. How, uh, how are you doing? I'm feeling really good. I'm thrilled to be here. I love the energy of the studio. Oh, thank and you. I'm just excited for this conversation. So thanks for having me. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I'm glad we're getting the, the wonderful sounds of nature around <laughs> us, accompanying us in this, this voyage of nature itself, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, human nature and that. Um, so I guess... Can you just start by how you would describe what it is you do? Sure. Um, I am a life coach. 
And what that means for me is I help people love themselves fully so that they can go out there and do amazing shit. Yeah. That's like in a nutshell what it is. That's, that's, that is very simple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it, it always amazes me when one, I guess I, you know, the term life coach is kind of soupy, isn't it? Because a lot of people can bastardize yes. the name. And, and I find that when they, when, when people who describe themselves as life coaches have a description that is of what they do that isn't simple, like you just gave, they're trying to explain away something. Mm. It seems like, to me, it seems like if, if it's authentic and you understand your mission, it ought not be a, a complicated mission, right? Mm -hmm. Like for anything to be effective, it should be simplified. Mm -hmm. yes. And, and so how do you, did you, was there trepidation choose like identifying yourself as the life coach? Yes, absolutely. Because the, um, industry is fraught with so many people out there with different agendas. Yes. Um, trying to make a quick buck or um, take advantage of others or um, just experimenting, not knowing what they're doing, you know. Um, so that term is just... But what I found was that any other term was too confusing for everyone. Sure. You know, so I was just like, let me just say life coach. And then I was convinced that people would, when they speak to me, get a sense of my energy. Yes. And hopefully that comes across True. as authentic and that they would get a sense of whether or not it was something they wanted to know more about. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, How did you, what what was kind of the impetus for ch be being this, choosing this, you know, um, what, you know, did you, did you just start as like a, a, a crystals and chakras mantra person or, you know, was it, was it a more like scientifical approach? How, how did you find yourself? Cause you know, you have a wonderful TikTok. I, 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 I love your TikTok for two main reasons. One, you're not okay. Let me let me order them this way. One, the as as you are authentic, you are yourself. The person I I've talked to that is you unabashedly on TikTok, and I appreciate that so much because that place is ninety percent fucking fake, and I hate it. And I I curate my feed to the people on there that are them, their authentic selves, you know, and, and they exist on that platform. Um, and two, you are, <laughs> you're, you can tell that your mission is help helping people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess three, you're not afraid to be callous. You're not, or blunt, I don't, the, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. A straight shooter. Yes. Um, and I love that about your TikTok. And I guess that that doesn't seem like the the same type of other self help TikTok where they're they are 
telling them that you need to buy these crystals and, and go out and spend this money and do these things. Right. And so, um, how did you find yourself at this like platform of level self-help? Um, I'm not quite sure how far to go back. Uh, go, let's, I mean, you know. Wh- <laughs> the 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, seriously, you know, go, it, 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 it stems deep. There is no story of someone doing what they love that doesn't stem deep. Right. It, it, it just does, that doesn't happen. It's, if the people are doing the thing that they feel they're meant to do, they've meant, they've felt that way mm-hmm. for as long as they can remember in some capacity. So I am sure it's five years old or something you know? yeah so as cheesy as it sounds i feel like it, um this vocation or whatever like chose me yeah oh. it's just like naturally developing um it's not like oh i had this idea oh that'll be cool of course Let me do yeah. that, you know yeah and so if i could pinpoint a moment when it all started it seemed like a, a trajectory began it was when i was living in chicago and I went into a particular yoga class. So that's how it started mm. in a yoga studio. Very um, typical. Um, but I immediately signed up for a year-long training. I was like all in immediately. Something really spoke to me. And it was the deep inner work. Yeah, yeah. Was, I, it, was, it, was it a <laughs> what kind of yoga? What, there's lots of different Bikram or whatever. It was. Yeah, this was like a super general, um, just a uh, vinyasa. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but what I appreciated about the studio was that they seemed to, I mean, it was also fraught with lots of cultural appropriation and issues, of course. Yeah. Um, this was about like 12 years ago. and um, But they really tried anyway, to bring in a lot of the roots of yoga, the spirituality. And that's what I loved about it. So I signed up for this year-long program, very in-depth. And one of the most pivotal moments during that year was when I did a 10-day silent Vipassana retreat. That was life-changing. Really? I always describe it as life-changing, and I don't mean that in an exaggerated way it literally like was a turning point in my life yeah 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 um and yeah so it was 10 days silence where it was in the middle of farmland in illinois okay and it was winter so the snow was falling it was silent yeah 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 there's no there's no sound carrying right in fresh snow yes so it was like the perfect setting and I, I roomed with four other women that I didn't know and, and didn't speak to. And we would meditate for like 12 hours a day in shifts. And it was very intense, but it was uh, amazing. And so that really like set me on my path. Okay. Let me, let me, uh, I have that, that, that sparks so, so many questions. Um, one is, did what it's it, I'm, I'm i'm trying to actually put this in in the right terms how how do you come to yeah i want to go to the farmland and spend 10 days with people i don't know and won't learn about in silence how did that like obviously something made you go yeah i'm doing that yeah um, it's 
one of those really difficult things to express. I um, heard of other people doing it and I just knew in my bones, you know? What? Okay, let me reframe it. What were you hoping to get out of it? Right? Because it was about you. It was about you doing something for you, obviously. Mm -hmm. So what was going into it? What was your hope to get out of it? What did you want to discover? What were you trying to conquer or... Mm -hmm. That's another difficult one to uh, answer because I wanted just the experience of it. I, I literally was attracted to, um, I've never experienced anything like this. I got to throw myself in and see, you know, I'm very yeah. experimental in that way. Cool. I love the experience of it, you know, not for any kind of outcome. I, I didn't mm. have any kind of outcome in mind. I was like, let me see. This is going to be challenging as fuck. You right, know? right. Okay. So at this time, were you uh, all, obviously you were already heavy into meditation? No, no. That's the funniest thing. Oh, you weren't doing any meditating yet. <laughs> My idea of meditation at that point was hilarious. Like I had a cup of tea. I would sit for a few minutes, like, <laughs> and then when thinking I thinking about this, your day, yes. just like calm okay sure, okay yeah sure. yeah so nothing like this and okay i mean again this sounds cheesy to say but i can't help it i felt like it was a like a karmic calling it was just like something so deep within was like <clears throat> you're doing this come on um are, that's uh, uh, you know i oh uh, this is such a uh a, a weird term but uh, would you describe yourself as spiritual or even at the time mm -hmm. you would? Yeah. Okay. Do you now? I, th I think so. <laughs> has the, has what spiritual cha means changed to you then? It depends who I'm speaking to, I think. Okay. And, and my intention for, for what I'm, what I'm explaining. Um, Sometimes it's an easy term to be like, like for a while I was a spiritual life coach, you know, ah. because it's like, okay, you get the gist, <laughs> you know, sure. it's just for clarity. Um, but it's not a term that I feel very strongly okay, about. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But at the time you would have. Mm -hmm, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I was like really, really into all of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Okay. So, so you get to. Do, do you ride a bus? Do you drive yourself? How do you get out there? How does... We carpooled with strangers. So you were allowed to talk in the cars, right? Yes. Okay, okay, cool. Yes. So we chatted on the way there. But then as soon as we got there, we like gave over our personal belongings. To who? Okay, so it's run... This is the other cool thing. It is run by volunteers. They're all over the world. And it's free. It's donation-based. Oh. which I thought was so beautiful. And actually that was a huge part of the reason why I was able to go at that time. I couldn't pay. Mm. And then I made my donation like years later. Oh, wow. So, oh, wow. And okay. And then they feed you, they do everything yep. for you. What, um, what, what kind of food? The food is vegetarian and delicious. And that's another really cool aspect. I'm sure it's really clean. Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it was such a cool experience to be in that container and to just be in this, um, it, it was like a flow. You just wake up, you go meditate first, you go have your breakfast, then you go back. Like it was just such a beautiful flow that oh. you did not have to think about a thing. You were just going with everybody. Pure, purely present mm -hmm. in the moment. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that's so cool. And then, uh, okay, so you not being what you would now call as like someone who actually practices meditation, you get there, do they sit there and they go, okay, this is what your days are going to look like. Do, do they prime you guys? And then you wake up the first morning and you're like, now I have 12 hours of meditation ahead of me and I don't know how to meditate. Oh, like, do they, is it guided? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first couple of days they do, um, they have this, the main teacher of Vipassana is named Goenka. He oh. has since passed, but it's his voice on okay. the loudspeaker. And so he's guiding you. Oh. So it's the same everywhere you go. If you go to a Vipassana retreat, it's going to be the same. Oh. Um, and so you learn the basic technique of Vipassana, which is just body awareness, body scanning. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then you're kind of left to it. <laughs> Did you... Did you struggle not saying, not speaking? Not at all. I really? loved it. I loved it so much because it took away this whole energy that I didn't realize we are using up on a daily basis, constantly having to communicate with one another. Mm. That was just gone. So I could really focus. So did you find yourself having conversations with people through just eye contact then that was discouraged oh so no no like connecting with other people yeah. <laughs> okay so you were meant to be you're with you're you're with people but you this is individual yes absolutely. okay okay and there were there were teachers available if you needed um some guidance how would you ask them or could you then talk mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay yes you okay. could talk to the teacher mm -hmm. could you laugh did you find yourself laughing at things <laughs> Because obviously, if no one's talking, you're but you're still going to have a monologue, and I can't imagine your ten days. You 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 will reach a sense where things that were not funny become funny to mm -hmm, you, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. You did you laugh? I don't remember if I laughed or not. <laughs> I I don't know. It's wow, a, it's a trip though. Like every like. You feel like you're excavating psychological layers upon layers that you normally do not have in everyday life right. have the space or focus to go through. So all this shit comes up from deep within and it mm. kind of just gets like filtered out and it is trippy things that you didn't even know were in there. It's I often use in actually in my, my coaching and my teaching, I use um, this analogy of a pressure tank. Oh, we're like a pressure tank. And a lot of that stuff gets in there. And you know, that pressure builds and builds. Yeah, but the tank won't grow. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. So with awareness, we open the pressure valve and the pressure gets released. And so that is what happened for me on this retreat, uh, big time. For like the first time, probably, right? Right, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and actually I had, um, the reason why I was saying it was so life-changing was because about three days into the retreat, I had the most incredible experience that is like very challenging to put into words. But um, I was three days in, I was just doing my thing, silently meditating, and, um, I just had this trippy experience of like, I dissolved. <laughs> that's, like, that's the best I could do to describe it. Like everything dissolved my sense of identity. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. 
And it was not scary or anything. It was the mm. most beautiful thing. It yeah. was just a very, very profound, um, what I like to describe as like a peeling away from the ego. Yes. Yeah. And I was just like looking around like, holy shit, is everybody experiencing this? <laughs> like, <laughs> Isn't that? Yeah. So I've, I have achieved that like identity separation i don't know a better name for it in in mindfulness and it it took me over a year of practicing it to like really be able to at you know with with chaos it wasn't like i was devoting hours and hours and hours at a time you get 10 or 15 minutes at a time to sit there and isolate yourself for a second and be mindful and and you know and so i i I'd do that i would do that and then um yeah, it is a trip to like to to recognize that your awareness is not driving the car, right? You, it, like it. The way I explain it is like you're in the back seat of a big car, and the car is like your ego, and the 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 person that really cares about validation and external things and inter like where, you know, and, and you are not, well, not, I can't say you, but this, this, this separated observer is like, you're in the car, but you are not driving. You're just kind of like existing around. You don't, you know, that's how I explain it. Mm -hmm. But it it is wild wild yeah yeah so then for the next many days i tr- i was just spending the the whole retreat trying to get back to that i was like oh i want to experience that again but you wanted it yeah yeah so then you know yep. that ruins it yes absolutely absolutely <laughs> you're clinging for something i know, you know? I know. But having experienced it changed everything for me because once you experience it, it's like the first glimpse you yeah. have, yeah. then it's like a magnet and you are magnetized to that. And then it's like inevitable that you will continue to unfold and have subsequent glimpses. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I had, I had long before I even truly tried like I, I, I did the same thing. Like I, I literally thought meditation was, you know, humming to yourself and sitting with your leg, but, but not have, you know, like the intent of meditating is not meditating. And so, um, y- you know, pr- I practiced it wrong for a long time and I was hearing people talk about practicing just mindfulness in the general term that most people talk about it. Um, and hearing these people say like ego death and and saying these terms and and talking about the the conscious observer and uh and i thought they were making it up for the longest time because i couldn't do it i i never got anywhere close that i could feel like i was living what they were describing your mind does you know, and I gave up on it on, on trying to get that thing. And it was shortly after just giving up on trying to find that, that it happened. And you weren't, I was just going, okay, I want to, you know, like, like, I mean, 
just focus on the breath in the most isn't that the wrong word for it i'm sorry my brain's all over the place what word? focus on the breath it's um it, it could be a tool focus could be a tool that that could be helpful um what do you mean well well like like the you when when i and let me i guess that's the right way to go let me ask you then um how i have heard and been described to me mindfulness meditation is the um like the the body focus the body scanning sitting there rec feeling your body feeling you sitting where you're sitting real like becoming aware of your body and then letting go of that because you don't need to sit there and con con constantly feel and then you're left with like the sounds of your breathing and then your thoughts coming in and out of your head and you you spend you know especially if you're new to it like i was i had to spend quite a bit of time not holding on to those thoughts not 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 ruminating when they come in like it's something important to think about and you know and then you find yourself like okay just just breathe but don't control when you breathe feel your body need to breathe and then experience your body take its breath right and i think when people think focus or when i heard focus on the breath i would sit there and like make myself take the breath make myself exhale it out hold my breath out focus on taking my breath in and like rudiment like make myself breathe right and mm -hmm. and that's what i mean isn't foc like focus seems like like you want your body to breathe on its own and you experience it right mm -hmm. And then when you're doing that, you you realize that your body needs far less breaths than you normally take. You can just really slow breaths and then you don't take a breath for a couple seconds or five seconds or something, you know, mm -hmm. when you're really in it. And does that, is this resonating with you? Am I just? Something that's coming to mind is that um, how different everyone is. And I feel like different instructions apply for different folks okay because i remember my partner saying how he was taking the instructions um some some meditation instructions very literally and he was relaxing and then drool would start you know and yeah. he was like well i can't swallow so like no one told me to swallow, you know? oh, sure sure <laughs> so i think it's different for everyone okay and that's why i often say to people to experiment with different things and see what resonates because i have a strong feeling that you will be called to a certain style right you know? yeah yeah well um can i do this before we go too farther C mm -hmm. can i just have you in how can, is is do you have a name like what type of meditation do you practice do you advocate to the people you're helping how what do, how do you describe it mm -hmm. um i like, do you use a term like mindfulness? Do you, you know? Yeah. It... yeah, the the Vipassana was very helpful. That was like my gateway drug. Yeah. And then what really um, took, swept me away, if you will, was self-inquiry. Mm. 
Are you familiar? Yes, in in just like like true probe mind probing, right? Like, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. And so the basic question of self inquiry is, who am I? Mm. And so this for me just really again felt like this is the method for me. Yeah. You know, it just resonated with me so deeply immediately, and I really took to it. I actually brought with me um, the book that like really changed my life around the same time, around the same time, um, right after the retreat, actually, because after the retreat, I was just like, uh, voracious for all of it. I was like, yeah. And I found this book called I am that by Nisargadatta Maharaj is his name. And this book, I mean, you'll see, it's very heavily annotated. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I would just tote it. It's a huge book. I tote it around everywhere. I annotate. I read it again and again because it felt like nothing I had ever read before in that um, it felt like a living experience I was reading at, you know, I was experiencing as I was reading Mm. and it was just like opening me up my levels of awareness and it was mainly based around who am I? Um, and going deep into that question of who or what is it that is observing in every did, moment. Did you, were you aware post or pre this that you did not have an answer to that question? Who you are? What do you mean pre this? Pre, pre the retreat, pre discovering, walking into that yoga studio. Like, like I, I have you know, I can think to my early 20s before I even cared about meditating or or working on myself or anything like that. And at that time, I have distinct moments where I would go, who am I? And I had no idea how to answer it or sit, you know, I had moments of self-crisis when you're like, like, who? who just who am I? And and I think that everybody gets struck with that far before you have any tools to, you know, I, I didn't know who I was at that time. I would definitely was doing a lot of masking mm-hmm. and, and, and being accepted socially mattered incredibly much to me because I didn't except me. I, I, or I didn't even know who I, you know, I don't know what it was, but I definitely cared what other people thought about me. And I felt, and I think a lot of people do that, um, for people to like care about you, you need to be doing things that they care about, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was like, Oh, if I want to be liked, I should play football because the people that like people play football Mm -hmm. or the people that are liked Mm -hmm. by other people play football. Mm. I didn't care about football, you know, but it's, it's, I think it's those. And I think a lot of people do that in their lives. They will take things on as baggage for external kind of validation for them doing, you know, doing. Yes. So, but I think all of that is because they don't know who they are. Yes. You're making me think here. Um, I never really thought about this, about <laughs> the pre, uh, that first glimpse. 
right. my life before then. It was very insular in a way. I had a lot of alone time. Given the home environment that I grew up in, I was kind of like isolated a lot. Mm. And so I was just in my imagination a lot. Were you a big reader? Yes. Yes. And fiction reader? Or nonfiction. Um, nonfiction. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. Because some people are only fiction readers and they want the world building and, and that, that escapismness. But I love nonfiction reading because it, it, it keeps you in this reality, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of grounded, I think. And, and I, I'm all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So, so but, but you would spend a lot of your time reading. Yes. And then um, it felt like not much. um, I wasn't doing much of that kind of exploration until, boom, the yoga, the meditation. And how old were you? Um, If you don't mind. No, like 25. Ah, yes. Mid-20s. Isn't that funny that it's like right when our brains fully finish developing? I know females earlier than males. Males' brains probably like 25-ish when they – when our prefrontal cortex is finally fully developed, and I think it's 22 on average for women, but um, yeah. it, but still, you're, you're you know, we think about all that life we live and trying to be, and our brains aren't even done growing yet, you know, yeah. and and we're we're having to be a teenager, yeah, and and live that type of life and have social groups and God, all of that stuff, and our brains aren't even done. Right. growing yet you yeah. know hey 18 year old go to college pick what you want to do get into you know? debt yeah get into debt Take pick what you want to do right debt. now uh because that's respectable mm-hmm. that's the path to success yeah what would they think if you didn't what would they think you want to take a year off what are you a hippie you know what whatever it is yeah um yeah it's it's interesting i you know i I've only discovered this post really trying to discover my idea, like that same question, who I am. And I've, it's funny, most of what you discover is who you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's most of what you discover. I don't know if you actually ever get the actual answer, <laughs> but you get a lot of, this is what I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, that's so interesting. Ha- um, sorry. Um, your meditation the type of meditation you you practice yeah it's it's hard to uh, categorize it it's a combination of vipassana and uh-huh and the self-inquiry okay mainly i don't really do the vipassana anymore oh um okay i graduated <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just yeah. kidding i have experimented with more much more of um it's much more mental actually mm-hmm. it's very mental but um it's, uh, but my favorite, which I'd love to share, is um, called the surrender technique. Okay. This one also life changing for me. Okay. This is by, this is from David Hawkins, is his name. All right. Have I've you? heard his name, yes. Okay, David Hawkins. He's like my main teacher and has been for years. I have like all his books. I'm like really into it. Interesting. Um, he's not for everyone. Um, he's very scientific. He's like a doctor PhD type. So when you, if you look up his lectures and stuff, it's like, what? Yeah. Some people might not be into it, but I am into it. And he 
teaches something called the surrender technique, which is so simple. And that's why I love it. And you can practice it constantly throughout the day. And as you practice it, it becomes habitual. And then you're just in a new, you know, you're in a totally different world and no one knows, but you're like floating in in a cloud of bliss. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what it is, is deceptively simple. It's very tricky to do um, on a regular basis because we're so habituated to suffer with everything. God, are we? Yeah. So all it is is something arises on the screen of consciousness, I'll call it. Yeah. Something arises, let's say, some anxiety arises. You notice it right away because your awareness is so fine-tuned. Um, and you don't resist it. You basically just allow it to come fully. Yep. And sit with it. And um, this is where the pressure tank idea comes in you kind of release the valve of the pressure tank just by sitting with it and letting it be there fully. That's all it is really. And then you, um, it passes naturally on its own. It's, It's like so simple that everyone misses it. Right. And that's so funny because I love that it has a name because I do that and I, it, it was intuitive to me the way I found myself practicing meditation, practicing, you know, I, I, I hadn't heard terms like, like self inquiry or, you know, I, I became aware of, um, body scanning, but I didn't hear that term for long after I started doing it, you know, and, and it was just described to me in a way that, um, what I would call what you, what you, what you just described as the surrender technique. I just heard of it, um, just described as the mechanism of, of real, you know, when, when you're sitting there in awareness and like you said, you're that kind of the, the, the passenger in, in your body and you're just, you're, 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 you are, noticing that your body needs a breath, but you're not in control of it. You are noticing that thoughts come out of nowhere. You did not sit there and author your thought because you experienced the thought happen real time. Right. And I was, it was described to me the same way that waffles are delicious can spontaneously pop into your brain. So can emotions because it's, because it's kind of the same thing. And in the same way, you completely recognize in that moment that you did not author the thought, waffles are delicious. You're probably not also authoring the, the thought, this makes me anxious or, um, you know, I'm scared of this or I'm angry by this, right? You're, you're not choosing in that moment to be angry Mm -hmm. the same way you're not choosing to picture your mom crossing a street and get hit by a car in the same way that you just thought waffles were delicious because you're not authors of your thoughts right Mm -hmm. um and i was like holy shit like of course i'm not like (laughs) i'm not choosing this anger or you know whatever emotion you're feeling because i'm not choosing all those other thoughts 
And then as quickly as I can sit there and consciously let that thought go and go back to a vacant mind waiting for the next thought to pop in or the next breath to be taken, you can do that with the emotion too. And you feel it fully. You sit there, the thought comes in, you feel that feeling, but it will only last as long as it was meant to last. Any, any, like... (laughs) You you won't keep thinking waffles are delicious unless you repeat that cycle in your head of like mantraing that feeling, right? And that's how anger works. I noticed immediately that's how my because I I had anger problems. You know, I was a, I'm a redhead and I'm a man, and we were never taught to actually deal with emotions. So you pressure tank, very good term, and <laughs> you, you you know you, we carry around a lot of anger, man. And I noticed that no, it's <laughs> we're our ego will go, hey, don't you still want to be angry about that? Like, are you, are you giving up on it? Are you, are you, what are you, a loser? Are you giving up the, the fight this early? Hold on to that anger, you know? And then you, you rethink of the thing that happened. And then that perpetuates for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and and so the technique of of surrendering, I love that term. Um does completely like disallow the perpetuation of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Surrender. Wonderful. I feel like I want to touch on something related. Please, please. Which is didn't I tell you? Yes. And he's looking. Oh my gosh. Smalls came out of his little hidey hole. Like... <laughs> to join the conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay, one thing that I want to interject here, which is please essential and something I speak about a lot. Earlier when you were asking me about the term life coach. Yeah. You know, here's where I feel like there's a lot of room for really... Um, I don't know if I want to say like abuse, really. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Spiritual bypassing is coming to mind because with these techniques, they're always best when you are simultaneously. This is why I also recommend therapy simultaneously with life coaching or with these deep, deep processes because trauma, Mm. you know, and how do these certain techniques apply if your anger issues are rooted in a trauma pattern that is being triggered again and again. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to clarify for those listening that we're not saying, um, Oh, when anger arises, just (laughs) yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Well, it's not bliss. It's net. That's the thing. I, I I hope I wasn't making it sound like that. No, I, I said that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I, it's not bliss. You're angry. Right. Yeah. You know, like, you like you, fully. you fully feel all of that anger. And then you, like, for me, I quickly realized that's all I want to feel of it because it sucks to be angry. Yeah. You know, it's uncomfortable. And we shouldn't be habit- habitual with feeling that, like you said, the suffering. It, it, it is, it is suffering to carry anger, mm-hmm. you know, and, needless suffering because sometimes suffering is good right grief for example yes yeah that one comes to mind that's like a a good example of like 
to allow that fully because that is what is arising. Right. We don't want to suppress that. That will only lead to more pressure in the pressure right. tank. Right. Um, you, you, the term you just said, spiritual bypassing. bypassing. Um, because I'm pedantic and I can't help it, um, when you say spiritual in that moment, are you just talking – I mean, how, how, when you use spiritual there, people – because it's an analogous word, people will hear that and think souls and spirit, you know, like how are you, you using spirituals bypass as in that term? Like, okay. What I mean when I say that is, um, using like you were referring to earlier, crystals and love and light to push away these quote unquote negative. Okay. Okay. emotions that we don't want to be feeling so instead let's you, just love you're not you're you're just not invoking supernatural things Correct. right Correct. okay because that's 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 the thing that i i'm 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 totally fine with people using the word spiritual as a as kind of a a, a holistic meditative mm-hmm. term but it none of it to me is at all supernatural there is no auras or or any you know and and people will hear spiritual and Instantly, it's in the supernatural realm for them mm-hmm. in their working usage of it in their their lives, you know. And so, I want to be for anyone listening. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be clear on if there was, you know, supernatural. Uh, right. You know, are are you a mind body dualist? Do you know Do you know that what that term is? No. Okay, mind. So, so a lot of people I know who meditate who teach meditation, whether it's on TikTok or on YouTube or anything that where you can watch it, a striking number of people I see um, seem to be mind-body dualists. And what that is, is it is, it, 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 it's tied to this spiritualness, this feeling. Um, it's, it's kind, it's very Buddhist. It's very Hindu um, in where your mind the consciousness, the us, is separate from the body. They are two in in while entangled, they are two distinct things. And you can separate them. And then you have like the materialist or or the mon the the um monoist or whatever the where no they are in fact part of the the mind and the body are identical the mind is in the body but you can't they're 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 not separated if you alter the body it alters the mind you know it's it's one of those things that and so i I wondered if you had if you were familiar or had thoughts on well when you said that the first thing that came to mind is my school of thought that I am, David Hawkins, yeah. um, is uh, called devotional non-duality. So it's non-duality. Okay. Big time. Good. Good. Yeah. Uh, it's all in like the pure field of consciousness is the ultimate and everything is within that. Yeah. And, and all of that resides in the brain, mm-hmm. you know, because they would say, the dualist would say, oh yeah, no, I'm fine with that. But consciousness is not in the brain. Right. We, we tap into the consciousness of the universe or, or, you know, they always have to invoke something external to validate our consciousness. Mm. You know, it's, I, th- I think it's, it's held a holdover from like religious dogma, mm. 
um, doctrinal doctrinal dogma like that. Like, well, no, God gave God built everything. You know, He's the author of why we have what we have, or any of that thought. And then I think that the dualism held over. Oh wait, maybe we don't need a God for the reason, but we're, consciousness is far too hard to explain for it to only be purely physical, right? How could non-conscious matter make us conscious, right? No, it has to come external to our bodies, and we just kind of like tap in it, or it rides around in us. And then, the, then the dualist would say, when you meditate and you become the conscious observer to your thoughts you're seeing dualism right there right you you are you are witnessing the duality of the external consciousness and our physical body and they're separate and you watch it happen you know it it's it's interesting i i don't buy it i feel like i need <laughs> some psilocybin to go <laughs> Yeah, I, well, right. You know, it, I think on the surface level, any claims like that can feel good or true. And I, but I, I think that with the type of introspection I've done, they completely fall apart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so interesting because that is what I, feel so passionately about and love to share with others is like, trust your own internal guidance, your yeah. empirical research, go do some empirical research and feel like, okay, does this resonate? Right. No. Okay. Does this resonate? Yeah. You but, know? but it, that should only be done in the focus of yourself. Yes. You know, that doesn't work when, you know, all of a sudden, you don't want to take a vaccine. You went, no, no, no. I just tr I truly felt it mm. in my body. I did the my own. I trusted my own internal <laughs> empirical research. That's some um, scientific bypassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scientific bypassing. Exactly. So, so you know, when, when with all of this advice, it it is not about your like your the the rest of realities and your representation of it. This is about your internal reality, right? This is about all of this has to do inside of you and where I love the question, where are you? Mm. I love this question. Interesting. See, isn't that cool how that really does it for you? Yeah. And for someone else, it's who am I? And for yeah. someone else, it's something else. Well, it's, it's funny because someone could go, Oh, I'm right here. And it's like, Oh, so you are your whole body. And most people, if they think about it for a half a second, I feel, no, I, I guess I'm not identical. Like the me I try to think of who am I is not identical to my body, right? Like, okay, then where are you then? You know, some people may, when they think about it, they feel that they're kind of like right up against the back of the, their face in their head. Some people feel like they're, way in the back of their skull when you try and think of where are you you know because it, it becomes far more pinpointed in in experience than just like the the equivocation of like oh i'm as much my foot as i am my hand or something 
This is really tripping me out because <laughs> what I'm thinking. This is what I'm here for, man. This is great because what I'm thinking, ever since I had that glimpse yeah. where I started to peel my identity away from the ego and then subsequent very powerful glimpses, uh, um, yeah, where I was peeled away more and more. And then if you were to ask me, uh, where are you? I'm bird's eye view. Does that make of sense? Of your body. Of, of or Or of your consciousness. I just feel like that's where I'm most located is kind of like outside of your outside of you. Yes. Okay, okay. That that's beautiful because but you're not like third person experiencing, <laughs> right? Like like right. you know the the people say, "Oh yeah, my near death experience, I floated above my bed and saw my body." Mm-hmm. Well, you probably didn't actually float above your body, mm-hmm. but I understand the identity the the separation feeling external to your body yeah it's like simultaneous simultaneously i'm um like the bird yeah and very uh local in the body too which is a trip and which is so cool because I observe as the body just moves about yeah you know and so the body's doing its thing you know yeah. Being interviewed on a podcast. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it so fun? <laughs> it's meta. Oh, it's so meta. And um, just observing. And yeah. sometimes it's it's such a trip because the body, I'm like, I don't know what it's going to do next. I don't know what it's going to say next. <laughs> like, it's just moving about, you right. know? And it's like, um, I just feel like that, that comes after so much surrender. It has to. And I think that's what, I think that's what people call flow state. Mm-hmm. And they're not recognizing what they're doing, mm-hmm. and 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 maybe they're not aware enough to to notice the fact that they're they're separate they're they're separated from their ego in this way. Um, you know, I I don't I don't know if their their awareness is tuned to feel that, but they will go, oh yeah, I guess I just kind of felt like I was, you know, the time passed so fast, I didn't pay attention to what I was doing. All of a sudden, eight hundred pages were written. Um, you know, I, I I have I've had it for years playing music on stage. I will experience the show from outside of my body and be like, "Oh, look, there I am on stage playing bass," and yet a part will come in and I'm snapped into my body and I'm like, "Oh, I can't miss this. I need to remember to do this thing." And then all of a sudden, once the little bit of stress is over and I'm back to it feeling familiar again, it's like, and then you're like kind of back outside riding riding passenger in in the car, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what people call flow state mm-hmm. and they're, and, and, you know, for me, it's just, it is this, the, the, the ego separation and it's available all the time. Yes. You know, it's, it's, I spend most of my time, <laughs> I spend most of my time probably like, like walking, holding hands with, with my ego, but not my ego. Um, and then unless it's about something I care about and then that thing, you know, creating music, writing something that's personal and, and in, internal to me, that's what I care. Like, that's what hurts the most. I don't know what it is. It's, it's weird. What do you mean by hurts the most? It, it's the thing, the, the things that are the most internal to my creative well-being. 
I care the most about the external validation of those things. Mm. I, I find my ego really going, it really matters if other people like this song. Mm-hmm. It's so personal. It, it, it really matters if um, your friends thought that joke was funny or if they laughed at the, uh, y- you know, wh- wh- whatever it was, you know. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird that way. Yeah, because it's like a little piece of yourself is exteriorized or something for others to yeah. judge or have an opinion about. Well, you know, the honesty is, is I do care what they think, because while I love making music, mu- <laughs> I just have to think of every favorite song I, I've ever had and how much I love that song. And the people who wrote that song have no idea I love that song. But if they heard about it, it would make them feel good to know that another person loves their song that they wrote when, who knows what they were going through, but that song at that time for them was a release of something. And somebody else loves it. Not not just a likes it, but love, right? And for me, I... I could think of nothing better than I have a song that I put out that 30 years later, somebody loves, right? Like poetry, sorry, Jesus, poetry or a a book or, or, you know, anything like that. And people fall in love with it. Right. And you know what? Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. I was just struck by this image. Perhaps you have this too, as a musician. I'm not a musician, but. Whenever I'm in, uh, you know, listening to live music and when an artist is up on stage and then stops singing and then they all, the whole audience sings their song. I can't handle that shit. I cannot handle that. Me neither. And that's the image that came to mind when you were talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be the best feeling. Oh, I cry every time. (laughs) Yes. You know, I've been in concerts where that happens, watching my favorite bands of all time. And the the chorus is coming up and then they just don't sing it. Uh, and all it chill. is is the sound of the crowds giving them back their gift, right? Yeah. Like like truly at its core, we're giving back the gift to them. Yeah. They gave it to us and we're giving it back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's and, – and <laughs> the thing is, is most – I feel like most of the time people don't think about it like this. They don't. They don't think about things as gifts. They don't think about inhabiting a th- finding something in this crazy fucking world that you fall in love with. And the the gift-like nature of that, you know, I, I don't I don't know how often the dogs again. The God. dogs are chiming in. They are. What do you guys love? Divine dogs? timing. It is. Well, hey, let's let's actually take a, a, a small break. I need to use the restroom and we will come back and continue on this. Hey, welcome back to Falco's 90 minute meditation hour. I'm your astrally projected inner truth self and part-time salt miner, Falco. All right, my astral friends, start by closing your eyes, sit on your root chakras and let's meditate. Today's lesson is on reincarnation. Put yourself into a prone, relaxed position. Start by asking yourself, are my past lives real? Wait, 
and see if you answer back. If you don't hear a response, it does not mean that you didn't have a past life. It simply means that whatever you were in your past life didn't speak. You could have been an acorn, or a sweet little South American squirrel chasing an acorn, or an elegant and exuberant bird of paradise flying high in the sky and watching far down on the ground a sweet little squirrel burying an acorn. <laughs> With practice and spiritual awakening, you may begin to access memories that are not of this lifetime, and they can be super healing. I have recognized in myself the memories of my past life as a thistle nestled sweetly in the tufted expanse of peat moss in an ancient bog in the desolate stretches of northern Siberia, slowly eaten and passed through the digestive tra- Whoa! It looks like we've done it again, friends! Well, I hope that you all live your past lives and future ones exactly like you want. Hare Krishna! Namashivaya. Welcome back to the show. That was a uh, our local uh, meditation teacher Falco nicely stopping in to give us a little guided ceremony. Uh, I feel like I would be remiss, Aaron. What a wonderful name, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Two errands. <laughs> two errands don't make it right. That's what they say, right? Um, I feel like I would be remiss if we didn't. Define ego. Oh no. How would you how would you like to define it in a way that you would want to convey it to somebody struggling to understand it, right? Like I mean I mean like I know it's tough and it's nebulous, but it's identifiable, especially once you start meditating, right? So how would you or for yourself? Even how would you define your ego? Okay. The first thing that comes to mind is um, the ego is not a problem. You know, there's yeah, so it's much, not a bad thing. Yeah, there's so much out there that is like, oh, we gotta get rid of that <laughs> pesky ego. Ego <laughs> death. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, the ego, I, you know, I have no idea, and I'm still learning. So I don't know how to put into words what it is, but um, how do I experience it? Yeah. My humanness, I would say. Um, I don't know. Okay, maybe maybe let me maybe let me rephrase it. Where, what? What parts of, of you that maybe you would define as your ego do you think are beneficial to your well-being and then are resistant to your well-being? Like, where are the parts that ego is a detriment mm. and where does ego come in as a help? Yeah, that's really... Right? That may be easier to define what it is by what it does. Yeah, that's a really good reframe. Um, like we were saying earlier, caring about what others think. So having your um, motivation be, oh, uh, validation from others. Yeah. That's how I see it coming up for me sometimes. Um, As a negative. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then positively, it might um, propel me into some positive action, maybe. Mm. 
I'm not sure. See, see, I, I have trouble because I, I recognize the necessity of ego. And I've heard it described um, as there's your identity, there's your ego, and your super ego. I think they've defined they've they've separated into two because your ego is the active part of you that cares about any external validation good or bad and then your super ego is the, the literally the supercharged part of your ego that will that that seeks it so it's the active, the acting part, because your ego is passive. Your ego just, for me, it's it's funny. I don't know. I think that it's the recognition of the ego that actually, for me, for me, that that would propel me to positive action. It's it's it, because I think the ego, most of the time, is trying to seek gratification. Right. And it, it it's the thing that 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 I think propels want. Um, uh, you know, if 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 one is sad about something, the ego is what tells them that only happiness will make things better. Right. And, and it's, it's not, and, and it's, it's like, and happiness will come in the form of Starbucks coffee or happiness will come in the form of a new pair of shoes or a purse or, and, and that will make me happy. And then when you buy that purse and the sadness is still there, the ego goes, Oh no, 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 no. Okay. That didn't fix it. Let's, let's find the next thing. That is the happiness, right? I think the ego is the, 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 the seeker of fixing feelings, fix, um, the, the part of you that, 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 like I said, it wants the ex, it places the root of the happiness in external things. Okay. Or the root of the feeling, the, the, the happiness, the sadness, the fix, the change. It places the the root of that mm-hmm. externally to yourself, yeah. and 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 it causes your internal self, who can do all of its own validating. It, when you realize your identity is is needs happiness, you can you can the happiness is internal also, right? Like, like these things are internal, I I believe, um, and it's and that's against the ego's want mm. to. And then the superego, as far as I understand, is the, is itself the outright action of going on a shopping spree for happiness. Okay. And will, and just giving in, surrendering to the external validation. I I use happiness because most people are trying to be happy, Mm -hmm. right? Most people are probably convinced that they're not as happy as they could be in some part of their life. And that they ought be happier in that part of their life. Like, like the happiness that they have now isn't enough happiness because it's, if, if you look, step back and look, you realize how happy you are most of the time. Mm-hmm. 
in in your actions. You're you're not crying when you're, you know, answering email most of the time. Some people are crying when they're answering emails, but but it it's not the extreme that our ego wants it to be. Because then you need to fill it with more happiness. I don't know. This is my this is how I've like internalized it for myself, trying to, to I, like identify my own ego. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think it kind of translates broadly to a general uh, experience of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What about something that occurred to me was um, conditional happiness and unconditional happiness. Oh, yes. What a wonderful distinction. Yeah. Because conditional will be external. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then another thing that occurred to me related is um, something that I have worked with over the years is a habitual compulsion, like you were saying, to at times buy things mm. that I don't need just for that dopamine hit. Yeah. I'm not feeling great. Oh, I want to buy something. I want something to be coming in the mail, you know. And so I recognize the pattern and I sit with that mm. and I practice the surrender technique with that, but without an agenda. Yes. Yes. So. Ag- if I purchase the thing, fine. If I don't purchase the thing, fine. I just want to sit with it and feel the feelings fully and just be very, very aware. Am I avoiding something in this moment? <clears throat> am I uncomfortable for some other reason? You know, am I seeking this dopamine hit? Can I get it in another way? Right. And just really just creating a space for that whole experience, sometimes I it just goes away, the compulsion. I don't need to buy that thing. And sometimes I do still want to buy yeah. it. But I just observe the whole process. Okay, I purchased it. Now how do I feel? Okay, it came in the mail. Now, you know, it's just right. like more uh, awareness. <laughs> so have you have you heard of the, the part of experience, um, what people sometimes like call the shadow self or the, the shadow? The, the sh- Are you familiar with that term? Yes. Um. Do you also, uh, like, how do you deal, how do you deal with, with that part of the self? And I guess for people, I would describe that as the negative, the, the defeating, the, 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 the part of you, and it's not your ego. It's, it's separate from your ego because your ego wants to be satisfied. And this is the part of you that, that will sit there and I'm not good enough. You know, I'm, uh, the defeater, you know, is, is how I would yeah. talk about that. And, and do you think it's set, that is separate from the ego? Would you think of them as separate? The way that I understand for myself, the shadow aspects are aspects of ourselves that are longing for integration. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay. So yes. they're not good or bad. They're desperate for our attention. They often need loving reassurance. <sighs> this is the work I do with clients. Yes, so like, yes, yes, pl- yes. Often they will be running from discomfort. Mm-hmm. This is literally what it all boils down to. Running from discomfort creates all of our problems. Doesn't it? So what I'm doing, it's a, it's a joy to do it, but I just have to tell people again and you again. You just got so bright. You just got so bright right now. That is wonderful. Please go. Just sit with your discomfort. And that's because, you know, the way out is through, they say. So you yes. have to, so literally my job is to be like, sit with your discomfort. You know, what are you, what are you avoiding and why? And I sit with them through the discomfort because it's much better to do it with you, someone. 
that you trust. Yes. Right. That doesn't have an agenda. Yes. Right. Because, and, and that's what I think where your ego comes in is when you're looking for the, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're ready for help and you're ready to lean on someone else for this purpose, your ego wants to go, oh no, they want something out of it too. Yes. You know, and that's what your ego does. And then the, def- the, the shadow will go, you're not good enough for the help you need anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, run from this a little farther mm-hmm. and your ego's kind of reassuring it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's tough to get past both of those. Yes. They're like um, sabotaging any efforts that you might have to evolve. You know? Yeah. They're yeah. like, yeah. no, they're going to rip the rug out from under you. Well, but um, they can evolve too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You oh, know, yeah. and, and it is the running from the discomfort that gives them the room to evolve. I mean, I mean, you can, you can be captured by it. And I think that's what people mm-hmm. mean by ego death, it, but it's not actually killing it because the ego is a part of you. And this is the thing I heard. It was contextualized this way and it blew my mind is you, people want to separate in, in the search for that, that identity separation thing separating your conscious observer from the ego, from all of that isn't saying that those aren't a part of you. You're just identifying parts. You're you're being able to observe parts of you, but they're you, right? And when people say ego death, it, you don't really want to kill a a, a third of your identity, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or, or the shadow people want to, you know, a lot of the suppression is suppressing that those negative feelings, not living with them, suppressing them. And you, you know, I hear a lot of people, you know, I get, I get so anxious when I get to the door because I'm so worried I'm going to fail. And so I just have to tell myself, block it out and, and, and just put that down inside a really tight little box and don't let any of that feeling out and come in as this, you know, stone faced, you know, non-emotive thing and and just don't be nervous and that's horrible advice because you're literally saying oh i want to go into this thing i'm nervous about with a third less of my personality that i have to offer the world mm-hmm. i'm literally taking part of myself away to now apply for this job or you know do and you're you're detrimenting yourself by doing that instead like like you if if you can live with those feelings and manage the, I guess, the outcome of feeling them, um, then in anything, you, you're fully equipped with all of your tools. All of yourself and your personality can be there available at any moment, right? Because some of those times the doubts are healthy to think about. Yes, I keep getting this image of the car that we speak of and how... In my own life, I have worked with different shadow aspects and I invite each one into the car. Okay. But they're not in the driver's seat. No. They're in the back seat and I'm in the driver's seat. And so it's like this whole process of like, oh, you can be here. I can see you, you know, like co-regulation. I can regulate you so that you're not wreaking havoc being a backseat driver. (laughs) You know, that's dangerous. Yeah. 
So I calm them down and often, I mean, it's an ongoing process. You have to do it often. Yes. Um, well, yeah, they're noisy kids and, they, and they're yeah. kicking and screaming and one has the other's toy. Yes, exactly. And they're in the back seat, and then the ego's riding passenger and keeps wanting to change the radio station <laughs> to a slightly obnoxious radio station. You have to slap its hand away mm-hmm. all the time. No, I want my radio station. Mm-hmm. It's quiet down back there. Yeah. Right. And it's constant driving, right? Yes. That way. But it's best, as you're saying, to go to the interview or wherever you're going with, in life. With the full car. The full car. Yeah. yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. And and then I guess. Yeah, that's in, okay. I have this other thing. Um, I talked about that. Talked about that. Um, okay. Now, how would you separate ego from self? Oh yeah, that is also complicated because different lineages use use self differently. Yeah, for for you, okay, for you in, in your experience, because because I, I I feel like we could sit here and go, well, this these people think this about what the difference is, and these people think about what this is, and then the listeners would go, oh, that's well, okay, well, you know, how does that apply to like real life right now, mm-hmm. you know? So I I I I really try to make it like. Hey, this is my experience because I think we resonate far more as humans with experience than literature okay. as far as instruction. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we. Right. Self. So the, the way that resonates most with me is, again, David Hawkins. Yeah, yeah. He speaks about capital S, S self and lowercase s self. And now I'm confused about how, and then where does the ego come in? You know, sure, there's like all these, sure, yeah, yeah. all these different things. But I do know that capital L self, S self is like the ultimate, um, what I would refer to as the pure field of consciousness mm-hmm. within which all is happening. That's the capital S self. The car. Mm-hmm. And then lowercase s self would be the driver. Okay. Yeah, I like With it. the passengers of other stuff. Beautiful. Right? Maybe? Yeah, I like that. So, um, in my regular practice, to bring it into a really practical... Please, yeah, yeah. I'm reminding myself on a regular basis, you're the, the capital S self. Ah. I'm continually reminding myself of that. So then I just, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, oh, the GPS is, you know, is, is got us. We don't have to be concerned. And I trust lowercase s self in their driving, mm-hmm. right? So I can be, okay, maybe, and that's what you mean by the, the outside of body view when you're in that feeling that capital S self, you literally are talking about being the car. You are yourself and you're also the occupants of the car, but you're talking about literally being the car, looking at the drivers and the passengers in the car. Right. It's you too, but you're outside of the passengers in the, in the cockpit and you're the car yourself when you're, when you're, when you're in that capital S self perspective. Yes. And sometimes I feel like I'm watching a movie. Mm. And the movie is also me, you know, like the characters that are being played. <laughs> yeah. And that's very helpful, too, because then I can give a little bit of space between what's happening, you know, and the space is very helpful to um, just have that have more awareness of like, oh, OK, this is not 
um, urgent. I could observe, you know, be in the observer role. Pretend like you're watching the movie of your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have, I have questions too. Um, on, for, for people struggling on being able to ground their internal worth, um, oh. you know, ways to, ways to kind of self-correct the worth and then um, things to say as, as an outside party to people struggling to find their own worth. What are, what are good things to say that won't be a defeater for their already st- struggle of, cause, cause sometimes, you know, as someone who has struggled with my own worth, mm-hmm. I know that there's things that people can say that support the negative feelings of my own worth, even though they're trying to be helpful, oh, yeah. they will say things that actually reinforce my negative self-worth. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's kind of like, you know, from, from an active perspective on, on finding your own self-worth. And then also from a third party perspective on someone trying to help someone, you know, what are, what are things to say to somebody? Well, first let's explore um, worth. Yeah. Because I feel like when there's a lack of self-worth, it's shame. Mm-hmm. So shame is in there, which fucks everything up. It's, man, <laughs> the fact that we feel that is, is uh, <laughs> to me, proof that we're not, that there isn't a dualism. The fact that we feel shame. Uh-huh is kind of a reinforcement that no, our mind and our body are, are the same. Mm-hmm. Cause why, if, 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 if we were truly separate and our mind was external, the consciousness was external, why would you be shamed about your body? Right. Right. Or, or your, your physical representation, right? Why would shame be something unless you weren't integrally tied to the body, to the physical representation, to the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. It's the only reason shame exists, right? Because we're aware other people exist too. Mm-hmm. We, you, you wouldn't feel shame if you didn't have other people to be around. I don't think. Right. Right. And I feel that um, so much of shame comes from other people, you know, when you're a child. Yeah. Those shame messages. And shame very often is used as a tool for corrective behavior when you're a child. Okay? Is it ever? <laughs> yeah. So that gets lodged in there and that is um very prevalent. Right. Well, and you know, in in a kind of de- defense of some of that cor- correction. I mean, I hate that people, you know, even it's even a term like you know correct behavior correction mm-hmm. you know I for know. children like right. correcting their behavior right that that is an insane term to me but the people doing the quotes heavy quotes correcting mm-hmm. probably aren't actually recognizing in real time that they're using shame as a tool in that way oh, right. it's ingrained in them the shame and they are they're putting their internal shame on the kid saying you ought also feel shameful for this behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. it's, it's, but not in the words that way. It's just all subtle and manipulative and, and unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's how it's passed down from generation to generation. And that's why it's cool that people like us are like, fuck, no, we're not going to, you know, continue these, perpetuate these cycles of shame. It's, it's, it's probably the hardest thing to undo. Yes. You know, uh, uh, because it's about our, most of the time, it's about our bodies. It's Mm -hmm. about, it's a, and I don't mean the way our body, well, people will, will, will isolate it to the way their body looks. But I think the true root of it is the fact we exist, right? Like the fact that we do take up space mm. in this world. Like it's so visceral. Mm-hmm. It's like the message was you are inherently wrong or bad yep. for existing. Right. Like right. how do you just right. like right. overcome that? <laughs> yeah, well, well, you don't. And so people mm-hmm. will put it into the way their nose looks or the way how tall they are or how much they weigh or or any <laughs> now changeable physical characteristic and that it's it's the it's the same thing as like where am I? It's like where is my shame? Right? Like where <laughs> what do people see that I think is the root of my shame? Cause it's somewhere. It's, it's somewhere on you, your physical representation, the, 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 the worry, the instigator of your feeling of it. While it might have been put on you unconsciously and all those things, now people with it, my, I mean, I'm talking from my own shame. I, I walk around and the only re I had to realize the only reason I feel shame is because people look at me and there's something about me that of what they see, right? It's, it is about them and what I think they're seeing and what I don't like that they're seeing in the most big, ba- I mean, in the truest raw sense. And it, it's, it sucks to admit to oneself, like it hurts, mm-hmm. but, but it's, but that's the identity probing. That is, that is you going, what about me am I not telling the truth to myself about? Mm-hmm. And loving and accepting fully. And exactly. Yeah. So you're not uh, perpetuating that shame cycle within yourself. Yeah. The way shame shows up for me is um, most often it's less physical. It's more disappointing someone. If I disappoint someone, then my shame is triggered big time. Uh, I did something wrong. No matter how logical the situation is, you know, how clear it is that I was in the right or anything. It's like someone's upset with me. My shame. Yeah. Yeah. That the the, the trust shame. Right. Mm -hmm. The 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 I guess that is the other side of it, Um, because, yeah, for me, I guess most of mine is physical, like interacting in the world but you're right there is that like the part of yourself that you give but with your words to people that also can carry that shame Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point that's a very good point so um i've become very aware of what shame feels like and when it's triggered i do a process of just really really um taking care of myself in that moment, whatever that might look like. Sometimes it looks like I got to go home and and get into bed. You know, Mm. I got it. Sometimes it it depends, but I take it very seriously because I, I'm like reparenting myself almost, you know, 
I, I, I truly do know that is reparenting is such a visceral term. Yeah. Because you have to then admit like you, your parenting, the, the parenting you were given while it may have been literally the best job your parents could have done mm-hmm. truly wasn't enough for the person you need to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's hard to admit, but it's, but it, it's true. Because you're now recognizing there's a part of you that you don't have a tool for, I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Reparenting yourself. Because I agree. I agree. I'm having to I, – I would fully say that I'm in that mode. Yeah, there's grief that comes with that because you have to grieve the loss of the – you know, The idolization. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Because we think, oh, they know everything and they're, you know, the best. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of grief. It's like this whole process. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot there. And 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 this is that uncomfort that you need to sit in mm-hmm. that 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 people run from. It's it's these this internal monologuing, right? Yeah, I'm like a masochist in that regard. I like <sighs> oh, love, me too. I like love this self work so much because of the. Um, Benefits that I've received from doing this work yeah. for the past 10 plus years, you yeah. know, I'm like, well, and they can, when people want to talk about instant gratification and they're looking for it externally and you realize you have this tool to sit here and instantly gratify yourself with, with work. I mean, you can, you can be working on something and like you, you just feel not feel better. You are better on the other side of the work on the other side of doing this. And it feels so much better than any new pair of shoes or yeah. bass guitar or anything like that. Right. I have a good question for you. Oh, please. This is something that I love to ponder. What accounts for a person being willing to do the work? You know what I mean? It seems like a total mystery to me. I don't know if it's some kind of divine, you know, but I'm like, some people will not do the work for their whole life. They just will continue to try these external pursuits, you know, and they will never. Others are more willing. Well, so, so I think that my instant knee jerk reaction was dogma. I, if you, if, if it is, to me, if it was ingrained on somebody as much as the sh- if the shame that they were ingrained with was told that it was because they were made that way by the only thing that can save them from eternal torture, that's a level of entrapment of of your psyche. I believe that um, is it is meant to always do the work for you. It is meant to be the scapegoat for this work. Just trust in the Lord. Trust in 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 all what whatever your God is. You you put the trust there. It says right in the Bible, lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord thy God. That is that is, I mean, it's quoted everywhere. I heard that all the time as a kid in church. Lean not on your own understanding. And it's it's ingrained in everyone who ever heard it. And we're talking 70% or more of America 
at this moment. And those numbers are, I mean, these are the decline numbers from what they were 30 years ago, you know? And so that's a level of, and, and I think what happens is, is, is people, people who are tired of the dogmatism of it, the repression of it, the, you know, they, they're going to church or whatever it is, and they have gay friends and their pastors are saying, well, Jesus hates gay people, you know, or, or whatever. And, and they go, well, these things aren't squaring in my life anymore. And once I think once people are willing to give up the authoritarianness of the the purpose of their life, what it, you know, as soon as there's not an authority behind all of this, then you're left with yourself. Then I think people put their start putting their that 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 like safety blanket of of like the the behind well being the the support of life all of that in. I mean that's 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 why uh astrology is comforting because it's 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 not guard but but look at the stars you know the 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 position of the planets affects our moods and and you know all or or crystals or you know any of that is the next placeholder for the safety of that and I, I, I just think that I had to let go of all that before I was willing to actually trust in my own understanding, you know, and not feel ashamed for like <laughs> hell or any of these weird things that, that even if they're not a, a practicing religion, I, I guarantee at one time they heard about hell and they were told that there's something you, there's many things you can do to end up there and and i think that that level of shame is like it it truly captures the mind from recognizing its own power it truly captures the mind from 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 being a, from surrendering into only our minds you know it is the only thing that we have that we're in control of. And there's no one else in control of it. I don't know. I, I, I think that's, and I think it's, it's ingrained in, especially in America, it's ingrained in our school systems. It's, you know, it's, it's ingrained everywhere. It's ingrained in billboards. <laughs> Sides of buses. I mean, all that stuff. It's everywhere. Yeah. I don't know. Does that resonate with you at all? Um, Is that too, uh, <laughs> uh, like, um, is, 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 is that too negative of a, of a, of a casting of? No, not at all. Okay. It's making me feel very compassionate because it um I, i'm feeling like whoa i feel very fortunate that i kind of got through a catholic upbringing unscathed <sighs> are you yeah is a miracle i have no idea you don't carry any of the catholic guilt anymore i don't know if i ever did okay ah, this is ah. this is 
something I don't fully you understand. You are lucky. I went to Catholic school my whole entire life, but my mom, this I, I'm going to attribute it to her. She was like a true mystic, I would call her, because in the sense, very specific sense of teaching me that the divine is within. Mm. She was like, the way she said it was, Jesus is your friend. You can chat with Jesus. You know, like, they weren't, somehow they were not very dogmatic. We went to Catholic school because it's just what you did. Yeah. Um, we went to church occasionally, but they were always very liberal, very open-minded, very um, supportive of our exploring. And I think that really saved us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the dogma from uh, school and church that we were hearing, it just didn't really resonate. Hell, fear, all that type of stuff. I was like, what? Jesus is my friend. Like, right. I don't know what you are going Right, yeah, about. yeah. And, and, and I know I know that, that uh, in, in Catholicism strictly, um, which is far different from Protestantism, um, there's not a big – from most of the Catholic people I've listened to and, and, and talked to, there's not a big enforcement on hell itself, mm-hmm. like like anywhere. But you're, it's definitely enforced that you're made broken, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the thing that I feel like is really like pushed upon is is the the I mean the penance for the brokenness and, and the sins and, and like, like there's a lot on sinning, Yes, there is. you know, that not so much on the punishment for it afterwards, but the activeness and, and repentance of the sin, like day to day. Oh my gosh. When I was in very like second grade, I would have to go confess my sins and I would literally make them up. Cause I was like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I stole chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, well it, it's, that's so funny because it's like, it's almost like, Hey, you're not if you don't have sins to confess then you must be hiding something mm-hmm, right like mm-hmm. like of course you you're doing bad things all the time right cuz you're inherently bad yeah 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 it's it, and and like i said 70% of america is is just indoctrinated into that and it's i don't think it's malicious you, I truly believe that most of the people there, it, I mean, high percentage, also believe it's true. They're also scared of the exact same thing. And they really think that them passing this strict, oppressive message onto their children is the thing that will save them from the hell they're afraid of. Wow. You know, it, they, I mean, it is true core belief and, and they are just protecting them with the message that you're shit from the beginning and this and understanding this and giving over all of your protection to the higher is the only thing to save you. So how have you worked with um, your shame and beginning to heal it? Oh, it, I, I recognized I had, I recognized that there was no justified reason for a belief in a God. First, I became an atheist first. And, and once that was undone, then I recognized sin doesn't exist. Sin is not real. <laughs> evil, though, evil is not real. Now, 
colloquially, people do evil things. I am fine using evil as a word to just not say really, 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 really bad. Right? Really counter to well-being. That's how I frame all of my morals is from a, a point of well-being and everything is moving toward well-being and counter to well-being. And it's really easy to judge like it's immoral if you are countering anyone's well-being, including your own. It's probably immoral. Sometimes you have to counter well-being for moral like, oh, I don't know, going to the dentist sending your, you know, your kid won't understand that the drilling in their teeth is good for them. But it's not actually immoral, you know. There's there's a whole system. We don't need to go into that. Um, what was it? Oh, once evil was no longer a thing, once sin was no longer a thing, then I recognized all of the shame that I had been given, that was externally imposed on me, was invalid. Right now, now, now once there was no more grounding for any of that that was outside of me. Then I, I, I still had it in me and, I, and all of those things were ingrained. Yeah. And then it's just a matter of, like you said, slowly unpeeling the layers, running into a point where I, where I feel shamed in that moment, recognizing that I feel it and going, what about this moment? What about me in this moment? Am I so afraid of someone experiencing or seeing or what a part of me am I hiding in this moment? Like, you know, what action do I believe I'm doing that ought not be done? Whether it's, <laughs> I, I'm, man, what, whatever it is. I mean, watching porn or anything like that, like, you know, it, literally anything. And, and just having to actually go, what about this right now do I think is not okay? And should it be okay? Is it okay? Why, why should I ever feel it's not? And once you ask those questions, at first, I would ask myself that question and not have an answer and think I was failing because I didn't have an answer. And after time, I... I I recognize, oh wait, no. If I don't if I don't have an answer to why this ought feel shameful, that's because there's no answer to why it should. That means it shouldn't. Right? There's if there's no answer, I, I don't need a negative non-answer to support. No, there's no answer why this ought be shameful. Done. Mm -hmm. And 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 you can just, you know, now it's it's a lot easier and I have far less of it. The only thing, you know. It's just creativity. It's just the things I care about that I feel like are me are the things that I worry that other people care about. But but it's, it's not it's not really shame anymore. I don't actually think I have shame. I carry shame in an active my my active life. I really don't. I haven't felt shame in prob in years. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Be well, just because I'm, you know, I <laughs> I trust myself. And my morality, my code of ethics I've developed to where I will never have an action. I will never want to do an action that is malicious, that is, right. is intently out to take away someone else's well-being. Sure, I may say things that will hurt feelings. And then at that moment, if someone says, hey, you said something that hurt my feelings, 
I am so, you know, it is, it is an immediate thing. Even if I, there, it's, it's pointless to go, oh, but I didn't mean to. Well, it doesn't fucking matter what I meant. Right. Someone else is suffering because of me. Whether I had a meaning and, and, you know, you just have to frame those things and act in those moments and recognize like anything I do is, is just okay. Like, I don't know. It's weird. It, it's, it's, it's far harder to sit here and try and describe it yeah. than actively just live it. Right. That's good. That means like, it, it seems to mean that you've ingrained the healing yeah. You know, because then you just, boom, you go to those healing uh, responses rather than the shaming. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it, it truly all started from learning skepticism because I was, I was never trained to be a skeptic, to mm-hmm. think critically about things, you know, and once I learned the tools of skepticism, critical thinking, I learned logical fallacies. I learned, um, you know, the ways uh, psychologically that our brains will, the, the fault, the traps of logic that we will put ourselves in, you know, logic statements, A plus B equals, or if A is equal to B, then A is B, you know, those types of things. And they're always true. They, they can't not be true. And so if I have a thought process that all of a sudden I'm, or I hear new information or I feel something about myself, I, I put it through like a checklist of like, is this thing that you just, in, you just received logically sound? Like, do you have any justification at all to believe this to be true? You can ask about yourself when I, t- when, when I tell myself that thing I just recorded sucks. I, I truly ask myself, do I have any reason to believe that's true? Let me go back and listen to it. And I, I do analysis and I don't allow that feeling to take over. Mm. I work through it. I, 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 I justify it to myself, Yeah. you know, and I'm not, I, I, I am an emotional person, but I'm a very logical brained thinker. And most of my corrective work really comes from like a, <laughs> I would definitely not say a spiritual place. But I think I reach the exact same conclusions that that you do or others who are saying this is a spiritual practice mm-hmm. come to, yeah. you know, and we reach the same conclusions. Mm-hmm. So am I being spiritual? You know, it, it's, it's, that's where the whole terms get muddled. But I don't know. Did I talk too long and not answer your question? Or? No, I love it. One thing that it sparked for me, the most recent thing you said about doing an analysis. At first, when you started to use that language, I was like, nope, that's not the language I use. Right. So I, that doesn't apply to how I, you know, but then when I really thought about it, I do do a very similar process and it is more analytical than I'm used to. Um, I started doing it recently and the term, I'm not <laughs> wedded to this term, but it's thought work. Is this a thought this, work? This okay. This is a coaching. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is a coaching dogma, if you will. Well, well, I think that the term work in life coaching, in meditation, in that kind of stuff, the, just the word work does a lot of work, right? Like, like it's, 
it, it doesn't it's not descriptive to the process right no you know and and so it can be kind of blanket that way yeah all this is is um basically when i wake up in the morning every day i i write down my thoughts about a certain mm. so like okay yes but Go. very specific so like for you it's your work of art and you're having all these thoughts they're not gonna like it blah 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 so i write down all those quote-unquote garbage thoughts they come from somewhere they're in there yeah so i get them out and i look at them objectively you know and i'm like okay and i more most importantly is feel the feelings that are triggered based on those thoughts yeah yeah okay so i write down all the feelings too defeated embarrassed whatever those are my most common <laughs> that's why defeated embarrassed whatever and so then i take time to sit with again i feel like the name of this episode should be <laughs> sitting with discomfort so, okay i'm writing it down right now sitting with discomfort sitting with discomfort aaron and aaron sitting with discomfort so i take time to sit with the discomfort of those feelings that were triggered by those thoughts that were just floating around in yeah, there yeah which you didn't author right right and I, had I not brought awareness, I wouldn't have known because those thoughts are ultimately making me take certain actions. Yes, they are. Okay. So then what I do, that's what what is referred to as like unintentional. Mm. And then I move over to the intentional. What do I, what would I rather be thinking about the work that I'm doing in the world? How would I rather be feeling? Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I don't physically write them out. And I'm going to start, and the reason is because of your TikTok. You, you, I. What I did do for the very first time, and I've heard lots of people talk about this before, is make a recording or write down positive things that you think about yourself, and then play them back to yourself and listen to your own voice telling you positive things that you truly believe about yourself. Don't lie and say something like. Oh, I think I'm handsome. And you don't think you're handsome. Don't, you know, don't, but be honest. And, and I have, my ego has told me forever. That is the silliest thing you could ever do. <laughs> do you know how silly you would look sitting there with a pen and paper and writing down how cool you are and, and how good at bass you are, you know, all of those things. <laughs> And I, and I surrendered to that silliness. And then the first time I played back my own voice saying something nice about myself, I was like, oh, that was a hug I always wanted. Like, oh my God, that was a hug. Yeah. And it's amazing. So I, I'm, I'm going to take the next step when I build up the courage to not be sillier and actually put them down on 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 paper because I want to be able to look at the, the words, right? Like, mm -hmm. and it's so powerful. I did not do it on paper for so long. I was like, Oh, I could just think about it, you know, but now I'm doing a practice and very intentionally of 60 days of it. So oh. <laughs> every day I'm doing it and I'm only like five days in, but I'm already like, Whoa, are you, are, are you giving yourself any restrictions or can you just like the next day repeat some of the things you said the day before, or mm -hmm. are you trying to do something new? It's for me, it's specifically about the work that I'm doing in the world. So okay, my okay. business, yeah, that's the only parameter. Gotcha. Perfect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's courage. It, 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 doing that is courage. Is, it is, I think it's self-courageous. And I, I lack self-courage still, you know, and, and that's, that's why I, I instantly went, oh, it's silly. Mm-hmm. To write, it's, it's, what are you, a child? You're going to keep a diary? You know, the, our brain, my ego instantly thought that as soon as I was confronted with this idea. And it takes courage, I think, to not listen to that. You, p- surrender or, or, you know, whatever. I, I find, though, that when I think about it as courage, it gives strength to that action. It, it, it is, a positive out attribute in my mind to be courageous. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it's, um, what's the word? Um, a, oh God. Um, a, um, mm, I don't know. I can't think of it. It's a good thing. That's, that's what the word it's I was really trying to say. Thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. Oh, it's virtuous. It's a virtue. Mm-hmm. To be courageous. And I think humans care about virtues. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we're, I think sometimes we're told things are virtuous that aren't. And I think there are harmful virtues. I think we're told some, you know, to be virtuous in a way that actually harms us. But I think there are virtues that are worth caring about and having, you know, being honest, being a good person. Being courageous, willing to sacrifice, things like that that I think are actually virtues intrinsically that that help and feel good. And so if you can show yourself that you're willing to be courageous for yourself, right? To be honest with yourself all the time, to have courage to to be your authentic self, to change, to to grow, to to sit in discomfort. Until the point where you crave more, the masochism part of, of it, you know, um, I think, I think it reinforces the fact that we have the, 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 the power to, the energy to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of us don't feel like we, we, we have the ability to do that for ourselves. That's why I'm so passionate about being yeah. like, let's do this. If you're willing to do this work, like, let's do it. Because it's like so exciting for me. What, what, yeah. I, you know, it's going back to the, the, the thing that gets someone willing to. Right. Um, it is about, I, I think the thing that I see is they have, people have to allow themselves a place for honesty with themselves. Right. Like, like if if you're not willing to tell yourself just a basic truth that hurts you then i don't think you're if you're not even willing to hear it from yourself then i don't think you're willing to then figure out why you think that you know and 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 some people i i don't i have a hard time cuz i'm 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 an optimist I have a hard time thinking that, 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 that there is in fact someone incapable of making this change, right? Of doing, of getting to a place where they want it. I, I don't think that there are people who are just innately incapable mm-hmm. of getting here and fixing it. I truly think anyone can do this because, mm-hmm. because 
we all have the same fucking brains. Can, can, I mean, now, I can't, that is a, I can't just say that because obviously there are chemical imbalances in brains. That's, you know, obviously people <laughs> don't have them, but evolutionarily, our brain is the same brain and it's been the same brain for 200,000 years. And we exist here because our brain has been the same brain for 200,000 years. That's why we're here. All of that evolved learning, all of our genetics play into this now. And I think that it's a really easy trick to tell ourselves we're different than other people. I'm diff I, okay. They did it, but I'm different. It, there's something different that I am incapable of this. I, I, you know, it goes back to self doubt. It goes, but, but I think we don't want to give as much credit for truly how fucking similar we are, mm -hmm. you know, and it's the same people. People don't want to admit they're depressed mm -hmm. or, or can't see some of those things because they, you know, only sad people are depressed or, or whatever they mm -hmm. tell themselves. And I'm different too, right? No, I'm not depressed. I just like 16 beers a day, w whatever it is, you know? And, and I think that we seeing the humanity in all of us and, and, and how similar we are in so many ways. I mean, you really have to be granular and nitpick to find differences in people. Now, if you pick only two people and you look at only two people, you're not talking about humanity. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can pick out any individualized difference in two people. But we're talking about all people. You know? Yeah. A and backing out because I'm I'm only me, but I'm one of all people. And I guarantee farts make every one of those people laugh. <laughs> including me <laughs> and you may feel shame that you think farts are funny and you may not want to admit it in front of people but if you're sitting there by yourself and you're scrolling through tiktok and a fart video pops up you laugh <laughs> at that fart especially if a cat looks at it and reacts weird to it or something you know like but but that's what i mean we're all we're all similar mm -hmm. and and i and i and i think that seeing that trusting in that but believing the similarities aren't made up gives gives me confidence to go oh my gosh then there's a shitload of people out there with brains like mine who did this already they suffered too mm -hmm. and now they don't mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they doubted their skills and now they doubt it less it's not gone because it's never going to be gone, but they are not plagued by it to the point of no longer creating or giving up, you know? And if they can do it, there's nothing so special. Like the ego will tell you that you are so special that you won't fit into that mold. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's a big tool too for, for being willing to start doing this work. Yeah. You're the same, man. Yeah. There's, there, you know. I love, too, how you're speaking to um, normalizing um, mental health issues. 
can we just normalize like all of it i mean it's time to just realize that so many of us are struggling with depression and anxiety like it's like a normal thing like that's another thing i like to share on social media because yeah. i'm like okay let's stop pretending i don't to- i don't think i think in the same way that we are discovering the the the, the entirety of the the autism spectrum and See and and you know I hate I hate the polls that oh now more kids than ever are are getting diagnosed with no our methods of finding it are better. Mm-hmm. This many people have always had autism, and there's more than we can even think. And it's been here our entire evolution of history. We just never knew what to call it. And you know what we did far before we cared about humans? We killed them when they were babies. They didn't survive Mm -hmm. because they weren't whatever needed to be, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, up until, what was it, the 1900s, 35, some crazy number, like 35% of all children born didn't make it past five years old. Oh or or some gosh. some some maybe fifty percent like like one in I know I think I think it's like thirty five percent one in one in three kids just over one in three kids ever born before the nineteen hundreds wow didn't make it past five and then the other number is like the next highest number is twelve or ten or something like that and then at that time you know people want to think oh people in the the fifteen hundreds or the 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 you know whenever go back a thousand years oh. The average lifespan was only 35, so no one lived to 40. No. If you made it past five, you probably were going to live to 60 or 70. People still got old. There were still old people. The reason the number's 35 is because literally that many babies died back then. Yeah. And so now we're not dying that fast, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's way more of us. And normalizing that normalizing the fact that it is far more common to not be quote unquote normal I, i'm i'm fully convinced that we're going to we're going to find out in the next 20 years that every that autism won't be a thing talked about anymore in the way that we talk about it now because every single person on the planet falls into the spectrum the <laughs> spectrum is going to get so broad that literally every human will be on the spectrum and we're going to go, oh, my God. Okay, so this is just humans now. <laughs> and some of them are, quote, what we would now call – no, that's just the sweep of what humans look like in the same exact way that I believe that. I believe that we're going to we're gonna talk about depression. We're going to talk about anxiety. I think that every person on the planet is ang- has anxiety. Yes. And it's a spectrum of it. Yes. And it only may manifest – in one moment of their life, a couple times of their lives, and they're confronted with the thing that brings them anxiety. And some people's threshold is a far lower threshold to where spilling my cup of coffee or brewing the right or do whatever it is mm-hmm. generates that thing, you know? But I, I think we all have it. And I think, and it, you're right, it needs to be normalized and talked about like this because it won't be scary if, every, like, again, we're all the fucking same. Mm-hmm. We're all the same. Yeah, and um, I love social media for so many reasons, and I like very um, 
aggressively curate my feeds, yeah, me <laughs> like too. you were saying, yeah. you know, so that I can make it, oh, these are people that I want to hear from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we're so done with that, like, perfect portrayal of, like, the perfect life. I think I'm, I'm hoping that the tide is turning and that now people want to see well, real. The people that care do. Mm-hmm. And then there are here's the good thing and and i hate saying this because it sounds so dismissive but the people fighting against the normalizing of differences the people that are rallying still to uphold the american way and the the traditional patriarchal family and and what normal men look like and what normal women all all of these things they're all old white dudes and they're gonna die soon and they won't be making the laws about it anymore, right? And every generation s- since those crotchety old assholes are getting better. Now, their kids are still assholes too. <laughs> but for every one of the kids that those assholes had, a lot of us are having kids and raising them not to be that way. And so the bad ideas will die off with the people who hold them and spout them and hurt people, they will die and then it will get better. But I, I really think that's kind of the thing that we're, we're seeing is literally the death throes, man, the people right now were <laughs> that are alive. were like literally watching their dads go to world war two and Korea and believing in McCarthyism and, worried about nuclear war, you know, all of that was like, it was drilled into you, American exceptionalism and God. Did you know that uh, in God we trust wasn't put on the dollar bill until the 50s? Wow. And that's the exact same time that the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to, oh, and, and, and under, or, they added God to it, mm-hmm. and it, it didn't used to be uh, for one. Uh, I can't even remember the president of Egypt anymore. I'm glad I don't remember it, um, <laughs> yeah. because it's so crazy oh, that we had to recite. God. Yeah, one nation under God, indivisible. So it's one nation indivisible, was how it used to be read, mm-hmm. and then it only talked about the people of the nation being indivisible, right? And then they butchered that sentiment. By telling them who we were under, who the thumb pressing down on the reason we ought to be this way was. And that was added in the 50s. And those are the people who were kids at that time that are now like, this is all I was born to know. Like, you know, this is the thing that made my dad send me to college. Like, it can't be bad. I I, I kind of have sympathy for it. I feel bad that they believe this shit. But if they didn't learn by, I mean, it's 2020, man. If they didn't fucking learn by now, not worth my time. Yeah. You know, I want to reach the people that care, Mm -hmm. you know. And they're willing. Yeah. And willing. (laughs) At least to go, maybe I don't have it figured out. Right. Right. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. That is what... I wanted to say in the beginning when you asked me about the term life coach, I feel like so much 
out there is like, I have it figured out. Come hire me, you know? And my whole thing is like, I'm figuring this shit out. You want to join? You know, yeah, like, let's yeah. do it together. Like that kind of vibe. I, you know? I love that. I have another question. Um, okay. we, we talked about self-worth pretty good and, mm-hmm. and distinctualize or d- distinguishing that. Um, uh, yeah. What are some tools that you kind of give to, um, to positively reinforce self doubt? Because that's different than worth. Mm. Just self doubt, you know, that little kind of nagging voice. Just, yeah, tools that you would give to someone. Like, I mean, obviously writing down. I think that's a beautiful thing. Writing down the positive things you think about oh, yourself. Yeah, the thought you know? work. Thought work, the but, thought work, and then the one that that is another tool that I um, that we spoke about, the um, listing all the things and then yes. repeating the back, to, recording yourself and listening to them again. You know, so many of my tools, I think, because since they come from fifteen years of my own experience, they're in there somewhere, and they seem to kind of come out on. Um, you 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 have a giant Mary Poppins bag of toolbox. Exactly. And you don't know everything that's in there. No. It's the TARDIS so, okay. until you go, oh, I have the exact tool to fit that weird screw that you have. Yes. And it's very cool um, what happens on a session with a client because it's very – it almost feels like metaphysical mm-hmm. because I go into it completely blank, no agenda, and it's always just kind of miraculous how it unfolds. And then I'm like, find myself saying like, oh, boom, this tool. And yeah. then that is the one. I'm having that feeling about this conversation. I, I'm, I'm in that moment. I found myself in that moment where I'm astounded. I'm astounded where we're at. And like, <laughs> this has just been such a good conversation. You know, really and I, I, I found myself just snapping back because I had this thought. Um, I, I completely understand the compulsion and I, I've, I have it, I have it and I've had it for a long time of being like, I had this connective experience with a human that seemed so outside of me that like labeling it metaphysical, labeling it something other than completely physical feels the mo- the truest way to describe it to mm-hmm. me. You know, it, it validates me in that experience because I can't explain it mm-hmm. the best, right? It, it feels the best. And um, I, I read a lot of Stoic philosophy, you know, I the, read Marcus Aurelius and all the Stoics. And while I find a lot of that old Stoicism pretty toxic, um, in, pretty cold, there, there is one cool thing I took away and it is about um, – the, I mean, I, I guess you would call it surrendering, but but it's kind of like it 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 goes with separating yourself from the ego in recognizing that the ego wants to pursue gratification. You know, it wants to put the value that you hope to get in the external and all of these things. And the what what the old Stoics, I think it was you. Euclides or whoever, one of those old Greek names, um, said that uh, the foregoing of the want of this lets you realize that the happiness is always there. The, the feeling that you want mm. just exists. And so 
the the analogy I love to use because I think it's like the perfect illustration is people with kids will say, I love Christmas because the joy I get when my kids open presents and I see it in their eyes, that joy, you can't get anywhere else. And they have put joy into the kids and the opening of their presents. Now that joy is only dedicated to that experience. And you will inevitably, one of those Christmases, your kid won't be that happy about the gift they got. And then your joy isn't as good mm-hmm. because it was directly tied to that thing. And, and what, what these old Stoic philosophers would say is if you disconnect the, um, the attachment to the physical action of that joy mm-hmm. and you just allow yourself to be there not expecting a feeling you will recognize that the happiness that that, that hap- like happiness is almost like a field mm-hmm. and it's the presence of watching your kid open the gift that allows you to tap in to happiness that exists everywhere that the maximum amount of joy that you could conceive of is always happening everywhere you are. And that I think is what we mean by metaphysical and awareness and presence without expectation actually allows you to tap into that field of happiness. You find yourself being happy when you're around things you care about, when you when you're with ones you love and you have no expectation of what that needs to look like. You're just happy. It's as soon as you put expectation on, oh God, I hope the night goes good and they like my cheese dip and, and I get these things and, and oh, as soon as this is over and I'm cleaning up, I'm going to be happy. And all of that expectation and things that are put in focuses on when you're attunable to happiness. Mm -hmm. But it it always exists. Right. This is reminding me of how sometimes on the spiritual path, it could be very lonely Mm -hmm. because you're so weird and different than everyone else. And the way that this is occurring to me right now is I'm content. Like I'm good. (laughs) You know, like some people in my life, love to go seek external experiences. They're seeking that conditional external happiness that they want. And there's something to be said for that too. Sure. I want to go, I want to go see the beautiful view and and go experience this or that, but not on the same level. I'm like, I'm equally content sitting on my couch and like exploring my consciousness. Right. Right. Because the glaring, the, the glaring distinction in that is, is, they are they have told themselves that the waterfalls is the happiness right not the experience of them not actually sitting there taking in the waterfall mm-hmm. not to be happy from it but literally taking in the waterfall and being present in its presence and and just kind of loss of expectation, right? And then you find yourself being happy because happiness just exists everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and it's 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 not a matter that 
that the waterfall bring, or whatever that site is or the bungee jumping or whatever mm-hmm. while it's exhilarating you know <laughs> the moments of of terrifyingness are outweighed by your experience of doing it you know and and i think i think it's those things and i th- it's a mis it's a misattribution of where you you derive your happiness from your your validation from mm-hmm. you know yeah um can you think of an example? Oh no, we already talked about the example of where ego would prevent us someone from reaching their self. Um oh. Okay, yeah, let me let me say this. Um what do you do that you haven't already discussed um because you talked about um embarrassment. And would you say embarrassment as you define it is different than shame or are they tied? Embarrassment is tied to shame for me, but I experience shame in other ways. That you're not embarrassed about. Right. And you can be embarrassed about something without feeling shame for it? Or do you always kind of feel shame when you're embarrassed, but you can feel shame without being embarrassed? No, sometimes I experience um, embarrassment without shame. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think they're distinct like that for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself now being embarrassed a lot more than I find. And it, and it's funny, like what, what kind okay. Can I ask you this? What, what, what things embarrass you about yourself? Like, like in, in that you, that you work on. Well, the first thing that came to mind was like, um, building a social media presence. It was excellent work for me to be like, fuck it. You know, I've literally just been like, fuck it. I do not like it's almost been like my curriculum has been Mm. like, okay, let me just. And that is so interesting, too, because it brings up a whole nother layer because it's perceived since the others are on the other side of the screen. I don't know. You'll never see them. I have no idea what their response is. They might be loving it, you know, but like there's so much of that um, projecting our fears onto Mm. how are they perceiving, you know? Yes. And so I have just been like um, assuming they're loving it. (laughs) I just got to like. Blissful ignorance. Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's If they don't love it, they don't have to follow, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's wonderful. Um, You just said – Oh, I, I'm, I'm losing it just as fast as you said it. Um, projecting. Oh yes, projecting. Thank you. That was that was the word that 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 spun my little brain cells. Um, projecting fear is, I think, the most useful tool in the ego's arsenal. Oh yeah, right. And I'm. I wonder often. Um, it, most of the people I know who, I guess, I don't want to say are unhappy, but are plagued by bouts of unhappiness are also plagued by fear of change. I think that there's, I think that there's a and and I think what happens is they manifest it in like, I'm afraid of snakes. No, I, I don't mean like actual phobias. Mm-hmm. I just mean 
a, a hesitancy for uncomfortability. Uh, mm-hmm. But 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 I think that they use the word fear in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, afraid to fly, and they've never been on a plane. You know, the, I and I go, what what? That's our ego projecting this fear. But what do you say in a moment? When someone has a fear that you think may be irrational, mm-hmm. but they're convinced that it's scary. Interesting, because I have experienced this on the receiving end when oh. sometimes I feel like my partner says to me, be more resilient. Okay. When I'm having certain fears. And it's been really interesting to me because I've been able to notice what's behind the fear. Okay. Sometimes it's brain chemistry. Yeah. Sometimes it's, um, you know, a, a past traumatic experience. Sometimes that you can't explain. Are you willing to face this and be resilient? Sometimes my level of resilience fluctuates. Why do you think that is? Do you, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, like what accounts for that? Well, well, yeah. I mean, for, for me, if if I tried to place myself in that and go, um, my resilience, I definitely can tell moments in myself where my resilience absolutely fluctuates. Mm-hmm. And if I had to just, I I would think that's because my trust in myself fluctuates. If I if I if I had proved to myself that I can be resilient in something and then I trusted myself to always do that, I don't think I would ever not feel resilient. Mm. You, you know, just thinking about me and, and because I, I do wane in, in my, my own trust in myself in, in accomplishing all in always accomplishing what's best for me. Right. What's it, I've let myself down, you know, we all have, mm-hmm. And, and so I think that we we have evidence of us failing ourselves sometimes, even though we had our best intent. We we don't. You can't always. So maybe it's it's a waning in in personal like in, in internal trust. Interesting. Or 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 courage to 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 see it through. Um, you know, I don't I don't know. That's weird. That's interesting though. Yeah, something that's um, coming up for me is I'm realizing this about myself as we talk about it. The desire. Like, how much do you want that? Okay. Yeah. So the example that occurred to me is one one time I did a solo overnight um, camping trip, you know? I love those. I wanted to do that. Yeah. And I was like all about it. I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. I was terrified being a woman out there. You yeah, know? absolutely. But I had, you know, my mace. I had my pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was ready. And it was very scary, but I was courageous. I wanted it bad enough. And I was courageous and I was prepared and I was resilient and I was terrified and I sat, I had all the tools, you know. If someone asked me to do that tomorrow, I would say no. <laughs> I I don't have the same level of desire, you know, so that that's something interesting. Right. Well, maybe you already proved it to yourself that you mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. Um 
it makes me think of like a kind of dichotomy there. It's either you, you, you prove to yourself that you can Mm -hmm. and you trust that you could again, if you you don't need to prove it, we keep proving it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, um, you said, yeah, I did it, but it was uncomfortable enough where maybe I didn't get the benefit out of it. I had hoped I, I, I ended up with more discomfort than, 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 uh, building, and I, I don't want that discomfort again. You know, <laughs> the masochist is like, no, no, no. The discomfort was like great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Um, the 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 analogies that can be drawn from an, a solo overnight camping trip really pl- really are are profound. the The amount of stuff you have to do to for any person to just spend a night in the woods by yourself and account for all as as much as you can of the potential things that'll happen that are unforeseen Mm -hmm. um the expectation to set beforehand of like oh i don't know you know not dying or (laughs) or or at least you know waking up in the morning hopefully my tent doesn't leak and you know there's all that expectation um draws so many parallels to writing the first page of the book you want to write you know yeah it may take a lot of planning and and gathering of supplies and things necessary to basically ensure your survival overnight out in the woods by yourself but once you're out there and you're surviving there will be a moment when you go oh this isn't so bad Mm-hmm. Oh, this is actually kind of nice. Look, I'm, I'm secure. I got my dog. I got my mace. The fire's going. You know, I can't really see what's out in the woods beyond the the, the light of the f- the fire I have. But inside of my my wall, my my sight, things are great. It's like that flow state. Ex- yes, exactly like that yeah, flow, state. flow state. In my experience, um, it was further. Um, complicated by a van that pulled up (laughs) perfect 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 timing the van pulls up you know at night and parks right there and i'm like okay turns out they just wanted to spend the night in their van right by my tent (laughs) there wasn't 20 feet of road on either side that they could have chose from i was like (laughs) listening out for every sound Oh. But I was fine. I survived. It was great. It felt so like victorious in the morning to yeah. have my morning coffee. I was like, fuck yeah. Wake up, <laughs> zip open the tent and you look around and you're like, that's right. My land. <laughs> I, I saved. It's mine. Exactly. That's wonderful. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer. Is there – do you feel like there's anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to be able to say? Do you feel like – um? There's no, I loved every minute of it. I feel like we could keep going and going. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know how. I mean, it's it's almost 10 p.m., so I don't know oh, how wow. much. Yeah, we, we we've been talking, man. Time <laughs> we'll goes by fast. We'll have to do a part two. Any single time you want to come back and just talk about mind stuff with me, I am down. So good, I love it. I'm down. Um, yeah, no, I I answered all the questions that I had, and we defined all the terms I was curious about. Um, 
You've been a wonderful guest, Erin. Thank you. And you are an amazing interviewer. Oh. It's so natural. I it's uh I listened to I grew up on a lot of radio and I I absolutely love odd the experience of taking in audio. I guess people would call that being an audiophile. Um I'm not much for I, I mean I watch YouTube and videos and stuff but I would much rather have it be a podcast a non-video podcast or or something like that mm-hmm. um because there's something about only having your ears to do all of the the work of you're not relying on any of your visual processing mm-hmm. because what happens our brains will take over and favor one over the other and so if if we're, you know, if you're watching a video and it's visually stimulating, your your visual processing of your brain will be prioritized over the audio part of it. The audio will will accompany what you're watching. And and I think that people want to a lot of people, especially ones that like me who are super addicted to the phone, there's there's a stimuli of your 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 visual processing goes, I want I love seeing new stuff. I love deciding what I'm looking at. I love analyzing this thing and picking out the people and and do I recognize them or don't I? And there's all this stuff that's going on visually that our brain wants to have happen. Um, and I think just because of processing, it neglects sensory, the rest of the sensory stuff. Interesting. And and so they they've even shown that when you're when you're listening. To something or writing something, it comes from the auditory part of your brain. When you're talking, it comes from the speech and vision part of your brain. Mm. We talk, we say things, and we're describing images in our heads. We're 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 trying to convey concepts. I could have this completely wrong, but as far as I understand, like all of the there there's a there is our brains just work different when you're only hearing sound. You're not looking at the thing also to get input, you know? Mm -hmm. This is making me think of how my favorite uh, way to document um, is I I record my voice on my phone, uh, voice memos. It's like my diary. Yeah. And, Often I will go listen back because I like um, keep track of them. And so it's very helpful. Like in my spiritual processes, I'll be like, oh, where was I at that stage? What was I, you know? And it's so cool to have those to listen back to. Yeah. And there's something so incredibly cathartic about speaking in like just speaking it out loud. It helps me pr- to process my day. I think that's partially why I've done a podcast for almost 200 episodes. And, and, I, and it's funny. People will... I don't know if this is vain or not, but people will go, oh, I can't stand hearing myself talk recorded. Or or if they create themselves, they go, I never listen to the stuff I do. I put it out and I'm done with it. It's mine, right? And I love listening to myself talk back. Mm-hmm, me too. You know, th- there's like, there's this kind of soothing, calming thing. And also, if I'm proud of it, I feel good hearing myself doing something I'm proud of. Cool, yeah. 
You know, it's the same way with like with with music. I love my music I've released that I'm proud of, mm-hmm. and I will listen to it and go, "Hey, three three year ago, you mm-hmm. killed it, dude! Mm-hmm. Congrats, you crushed it three years ago." Awesome, you know? that's that reparenting. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> oh, I I totally okay. We'll we'll end on this. This is this is going to be fun. <laughs> this is going to be fun about talking about identity and all of those stuff. And self-love. You love the you you are right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. What about the you a week ago? Do you love the you a week ago? Yes. What about the you that was 15? Yes. Do you think that person exists? Like, where are you attributing how, because, because for me, I, I simply don't, I almost don't even care about high school me. Oh. I, I, I definitely don't love that person. I, they, I mean, from, they don't exist, right? Um, It's like saying I love Harry Potter or I love this character from this book or this, but. It's not love like I love Beth or I love myself as I sit here, right? Mm. And I and I often wonder about that attribution of of how much we favor our past us and care about our past us. Mm. Like I know I I at a point really really cared about the past me to the point where I still felt like if that person got made fun of it would hurt me today. You know, mm-hmm. because I loved that guy, that person, mm-hmm. but I don't feel I'm here's the crazy part. Like, I don't know about you. I'm definitely not the same person I was at 18. Mm-hmm. I am. I, there's almost zero correlation. Like, ca- ca- I, I obviously I came from that person, but if we were to sit down, I don't, I doubt we'd be friends, you know? But is that eighteen-year-old Aaron in your car? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I don't think that he's in that car in the same way that my ego that I have right now is in that car. Mm-hmm. If anything, if anything, here's what it is. The shadow is doing an impression of 18-year-old me. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can watch a really good impressionist do a, a, you know, a Sean Connery or a Morgan Freeman and their face changes a little bit and they, all, they take on Robert De Niro's face and they sound like Robert De Niro. You know, it's almost like that the shadow's doing an impersonation mm-hmm. of that going, hey, do you remember – this I'll I'll even act it out a little bit for you. It, it's not really there. Okay. But I think it's in the same thing. The defeater. I think it's kind of. It. I. Yeah. I. I. I've. Like. I really don't. I almost can't care about that any. It's. It's weird. And so I. I didn't know if that resonated with you at all. Like how you place love on a past self. Does that past self exist 
to you? Does that... Yeah, that uh, goes along with my reparenting. So I feel like they're all in the car with me, and I love them all. And I feel like they all actively need my love because they did not get that in childhood. So I'm the one... So you think that they still exist. 15-year-old Aaron still exists. (laughs) Because because the only reason they would need your love now mm-hmm. is because it could still alter you at 15, right? I mean, if, if it's so intrinsically tied, there's no retroactivity in, in that, right? It's, it's about you feeling what you need now, but I, I don't know if it's actually 15-year-old you or 15-year-old me that wishes they had this accepted – Right. It's not actually right. them, right? No, it's an aspect of ourselves within us. Right. But like literally the right now us, the most present version of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Obviously, we wish we had had things. Mm-hmm. And we can do – We the, the thing is, is the only work is present forward. And so you can tell – the work for me was going – I would have made sure that he got what he needed. I will be that person moving forward to be the person that would never let that happen. Mm -hmm. But it's not like I can actually like love him and he receive it. Mm. The thing I'm thinking of is uh, the shadow integration piece because sometimes these parts wreak havoc on the different things that I'm trying to do in my life. that's when I go back and I'm like, all right, all right, what's going on back here? Yeah. What, what do you need? Because you're not letting me proceed with this thing. You're freaking out. Interesting. Interesting. So then I get him in the car. (laughs) So, so you, you play a little bit of a duality in that, Mm -hmm. in, in the recognition of the, the need to validate yet the, the understanding that it's not real. Absolutely. That I'm glad you brought that up at the end because it's it's almost like I feel like there's two aspects, if if not more. Yeah. One part of me is the like non-dual purist, but there's lots of duality because I'm in this body, I'm in this right. life, I'm a life coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. like there's many layers of all these things, this shadow integration work, all this type of stuff that I'm doing. All with the lens of ultimately, you know, the observer is observing all of that, you know? Right. So I like to make that distinction, but yeah, it's, non-duality and duality. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I, of, like, I often wonder if past attachments, because while I, I tried to not be attached in most things, in, in a way that my happiness is predicated on that attachment. Right. Obviously, I am attached to things. I have toys everywhere. I'm obviously attached. But I, I, I recognize that I could be as happy as I am now without those things. It would be happiness somewhere else and it, it wouldn't be any less happy. It would just be placed from different spots, you know, where I would do that. Um, but a lot of people, you know, the the stereotype of the guy who uh, 
still drives the same Camaro from high school and has the same haircut. And he was the captain of the football team and he still wears his Letterman jacket. And he loves that high school guy that he was in high school. But he probably doesn't love the him now because he's not the guy from high school. Mm. You know, I worry about the attachment to the past us. Mm. And, and, and the benefit, it, it truly can, can it even play a benefit? Because I, I wonder if we only have 100% resources to allocate and 10% of your resources is always allocated to you 20 years ago. Like you're, you're only giving 90% now to the present you. I view it as temporary. I view it as a process of integration. And once that 18 year old self is integrated, then you're whole. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny how our brains work different. Cause I'm like, as soon as I don't, it, I, I, it's, it's almost like exercising him from, I don't think it's integration. I, oh. because it's, it's like. If I can recognize I'm not that guy and that guy didn't I, – I guess maybe it's, it's, it's about the view of, of how you view your past selves, yep, right? Yep. Right, because if, if you – yeah, I guess it must be about actually how you view the past you. Because I'm thinking with you, maybe you evolved out of that guy and so there's no need to. But for me, I'm like – she still needs something. Hmm. That's the kind of energy I have for her, you know, like, oh. And, and, and maybe that there's still something to, that, that you will learn from. Mm-hmm. Or, um, well, you know, I don't want, I'm not a psychoanalyst or anything like that. <laughs> this is just, this is just incredibly fun. But yeah. the funny thing you said, until I integrate her. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like just, just from language that you actually distinguish the 15-year-old you as a separate person from you. Like you're not all this, right? They are in fact different. Well, in my car, I have five-year-old self, 15-year-old self. I have future self too. Oh, interesting. And she's like a fierce badass and she's like, come on, come on, yeah. everyone, get on board. We're going this way. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny. Like, And they're all me. Wow, that's interesting. You have a big car. Yeah. It's like a school bus. Right. It's <laughs> but a long bus. <laughs> the long bus, the full size bus. Um that's funny. It's like it's funny. The future you, me, if I was to try and do the car analogy and 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 distinguish where I would put, I don't think the future me is in the car. Okay. It's almost like we're like I'm a part of a race team mm-hmm. and we're doing laps around a track. Yeah. And because people get tired, you, one guy can't drive that car forever. So the other guy's getting ready to take over his spot at the wheel and continue driving the car. Mm-hmm. And then th- th- we have a large uh, supply of drivers. I don't know how many we'll need, but th- they're, they're, there's, we don't have to repeat. An old driver again. He he ran the laps he needed to lap. His jobs mm-hmm. is done, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 he doesn't have to come back and worry about how he drove his race mm-hmm. because 
the car is on the track still with the next driver in it, still doing laps. And it's kind of like he did his job. And if the driver out in the car right now worried about how the past driver drove, he won't be able to drive as good in the car. Mm. And if the driver that – it's almost like the – yeah, I don't know. The driver's job is done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it, it wouldn't do anything but hurt that guy to worry about the laps going on other than cheering on his team. Like, hey, I got you. Go, future guy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he he may get led down into the tunnel and sit in the, the, the locker room and not see the rest of the race. You know, who knows what happens. The reason I um, pay attention to my past selves is because I swear I feel um, that they are calling to me from the past or something, that they need something. Interesting. Because they are freaking out about what I'm trying to do. They're uncomfortable with it. So they're kind of sabotaging every step of the way. So I'm checking in with them like, hey, you know, what do you need? because that's beautiful yeah and so i'm making sure they're on board so we can go what i love about that and i think it it probably really works for you and feels really good for your brain (laughs) to think about it that way Mm -hmm. because it's not actually like you right now worried about what you're doing right if if you're sitting here active and becoming the badass you are and pursuing this stuff and it's the five year ago you that's like, hey, are you sure you want to be doing this, man? You're putting yourself on TikTok. They're they're gonna see you. Well, it's not you right now going. They're gonna see me. It's it's five year ago. And and you're and you're you're helping them and showing them that you can do it and giving them the support they need to to be secure in the fact that you now are doing it. Mm-hmm. That's where your retroactivity. Okay, that's be- see that's that is such a tool that isn't innate to me to think that way but i can absolutely like empathize truly with that feeling because i know so many people who also feel like that and talk about the them from six years ago with such an endearing manner Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and and it's yeah it's them caring about them now Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. the the, the, it's it's the back them caring about the future them because they're all in the car together So cool how our brains work differently and these different analogies were like, no, in my car, it's like this. <laughs> Here's the final part. This is going to tie everything together because I, I, I've been saying this for almost six years and I end every podcast the same way. Um, I end the podcast by telling everybody, you know, I love you. I thank you all for listening, blah, 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 and drive like you know each other. That's been, I I say that at the end of every podcast, drive like you know each other, right? That's my advice. Well, in the context of this, you're in your car, I'm in my car, everybody's in their own car. The occupants could be a few or a lot, but we are all on the same fucking freeway. Mm -hmm. We're all the same. Our cars probably all are painted the same color. (laughs) <laughs> they have different seats. We have different songs playing on the radio, <laughs> but they're all the same color, man. <laughs> and we're all on the same freeway. Let me merge in. <laughs> yeah. The zipper. Zipper, guys. You know, 
<laughs> Nobody be an asshole. Everybody drive like you know each other. I love that. <laughs> and and I think that applies so so vividly to our our analogy of our the car mm-hmm. and the passengers in it. Wow. See, this is this is why I knew when we met forever ago that you were going to come on my podcast and we were going to have a conversation similar to this. Because and, it was just instantaneous. Yeah. It was a very brief conversation, but I felt it too. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, we just, you know, I think there's a language there. And it's not actually about the words you say. It's about how you listen mm. to to someone who does a lot of internal work. There's a, a there's a lack of expectation uh, for a conversation, you know. I, I definitely resonate with the feeling of um, wanting to be on for a person. I'm meeting a new person for the first time, and I better mask right and give my give the the mask I want them to see. Mm-hmm. I resonate with that feeling, the, the the impetus to do that so much. And when we met, I was able. I instantly felt I didn't have to. You weren't masking and you were listening to not only what I was saying, but how I was saying it and responding with listening, mm-hmm. you know, responding. And and I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is someone who walks the walk and doesn't just talk the talk. Anybody can say they meditate, but then they will not listen. And you go, okay, you probably don't actually fucking meditate. <laughs> Because your ears aren't working, your mouth is still moving, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny whenever I, um, you know, have any kind of uh, session with a client or like this podcast interview, I would say to myself, whenever I would notice if I would feel nervous, mm. empty the mind and you'll be fine. <laughs> empty the mind and you'll be fine. Like you don't have to have any agenda. Yeah. You can just let it flow and trust that it will flow. Well. Yes. Yeah. Because two people, you don't know what the other person is going to say. Right. Like you have no fucking, you don't even know what you're going to say next. Yeah. And you, you definitely don't know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting there hoping they say something so you can say your cool thing mm-hmm. and it, and not sound like an asshole, <laughs> like, you know, you're only kidding yourself. Hmm. Well, I, you know. That's just, I pressed the wrong button again. That was for us, the giant crowd we gathered here today to, to listen to our lecture and our, in the symposium, Biggie and Smalls, and he is still out. Yeah. I'm just chilling and he'll go back in as soon as the room's quiet again. Um, thank you, Aaron so much tell people please uh i I will put this at the beginning to tell people where they can find you your tiktoker and stuff like that so they can go and follow you and get all of your wonderful help on tiktok everywhere everywhere um, that you want people to go to find you to you know so my business name is cedar grace cedar grace okay tiktok is cedar grace instagram is cedar.grace perfect you have a website yeah. Cedar Grace dot space. Cedar Grace dot space. Yeah. Perfect. I love the 
alliteration there. Yeah, and next time I come on, I'll have to tell you the the story behind that name because it's pretty cool. Cedar Grace, <laughs> please. Well, everybody, including me, will be waiting for that, and then that is where we'll start next time. <laughs> I love how I the invited name. myself. <laughs> no, uh, uh, please, I'll, uh, you can come back ten more times. We have Yay. that. We have that much to say. I know we do. Um, and we'll talk about your book because while you brought it out and it's it's there, we didn't even touch on the book. So um, maybe next time we'll just talk about the name and Sri. Will you say his name again, please? Nisargadatta Maharaj. I love, I love those names. I love I. Uh, uh, um, I listen to a lot of. Um, Oh, I always, I'm so embarrassed. I've, I've listened to him so many times. Cho, something Chogum Rinpoche. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Oh, I cannot remember it, but just wonderful Buddhist Yeah, I'm familiar. Stuff, I think it's just man. Chogum Rinpoche. It's, I thought it was three names. It might be just Chogum Rinpoche. Spiritual materialism. Yeah. 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 He's good. Very good. One of the greats. Well, there's a there's a large list of them, and I and I'm I'm pretty sure as far as just intent from my my uh, reading of your aura and measuring of your energy, uh, you are definitely up along the 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 landscape of the greats. Oh my gosh! Not listen. I'm talking about intent. Thank you. I'm saying that you, I think you come from a place that is truly authentic and you, like is explained from a lot of people who've been encountered mystics, who've encountered these special humans that kind of come rarely, I get, you know, I've never met one. I've never been in the presence of someone who people say you just feel them and they don't you know Mm -hmm. you definitely have a feeling about you that i don't often there's there's just a warmth and a presence and like probably a lack of your personal expectation on it that is palpable out loud and that doesn't have that that's what i find special so please come back Thank you so much. And for all of you, I will say it yet again. I love you all. You've been great. Thank you for all the listens. I hope that anything you heard here tonight can be found helpful. If not, visit her at cedargrace.space or anywhere, TikTok, Instagram. Um, And guys, be courageous. You deserve to put in the effort to do the work on yourself. You, You deserve it. And drive like you know each other.